Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great triple header for you today. Shows are coming fast and furious because, as I said on the last episode, uh, so many people said yes to interviews at and before San Diego Comic-Con. And a lot of them uh, have uh, projects that are in flux and need to get that information to you as soon as possible. Case in point, two of our guest stars. One is just a fun guy that it's always great to talk to, especially as we're winding down the summer movie season and Marvel has foot putting out its movie output and television output until the fall. So it's a great opportunity to talk to the chief creative officer, Joe Casada, the former editor-in-chief, who has not only a great perspective on the comics and the movies, but of course, the TV shows. We talk Secret Wars with uh, Joe, along with uh, the Netflix shows and the ABC shows, and of course, uh, Age of Ultron and Ant-Man. But uh, we get a good uh, checkup on what's happening in Marvel with Joe Casada to start things off. Then, we're going to talk to our buddy Jeremy Hahn. Now, you know Jeremy. He's done excellent work for years at DC and Top Cow. A lot of work in the bad offices. Also at Top Cow, great work on The Darkness. Well, he's got a new book coming out from Image Central with our buddy Jason Hurley. And it's it's a book that they actually started as part of Top Cow's pilot season. It's called The Beauty. Think police procedural meets a very strange social disease where the side effects are it makes you more beautiful or more handsome before it kills you. And all the kind of social ramifications that could come if such a sexually transmitted disease truly existed in the real world. Great idea for a series from Jason and Jeremy. That's in part two of Word Balloon with Jeremy Hahn. We wrap things up with the filmmakers behind Cicada the Movie, a very funny horror movie that is in production. There's an Indiegogo uh, campaign going on. We are literally in the last hours of that Indiegogo campaign, and I wanted to get the filmmakers on from that to talk Talk about it with you. Very happy to have these guys on to wrap things up on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. As always, excellent deals are happening at InStock Trades at prices you wouldn't believe. You can get up to 42% off, sometimes even 50% or more off the standard retail price of a lot of great books. I'm talking about books like Catwoman, Trade Paperback Volume 5, Keeper of the Castle, is available at uh, 50% off. It's just $8.49. You can get The uh, Green Lantern by Jeff Johns Omnibus. Volume 1 is 50% off, just $49.99. You can also get Hawkeye, the trade paperback, Rio Bravo, as uh, Matt Fraction and David Aja uh, finish up their run. 50% off, just $8.99. Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, 50% off, just $17.49. Swamp Thing, The Root of All Evil is 50% off, $9.99. You can get EC Archives, Weird Science, 42% off, $28.99. The Conan Red Sonya team-up from Dynamite is 42% off. It's $11.59. A great book that Tomorrow's has put out, and that is The Incredible Herb Trimpy, a wonderful retrospective on the artist's career. It's 20% off, just $27.96. And that's not all. That's uh, just the tip of the iceberg. If you want more details, check out their website, InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Cincinnati Comic Con, and we'll give you details on that. But very quickly, we'll remind you that Cincy Comic Con, September 12th and 13th, 
at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center right across the river from Cincinnati. It's going to be a great show. We will give you details on guests, but uh, Word Balloon is going to be there. I'll be doing a lot of panels and uh, getting a recorded podcast ready for you from that show, but it's an excellent show, and I can't wait to tell you more about it in the next segment. Check out all the details in the meantime at CincyComicCon.com. All right, without further ado, I want to uh, get uh, Joe Quesada on because uh, it's always great to talk to Joe and find out what's happening in the world of Marvel. Uh, Joe is on his speakerphone. He was relaxed and everything, so there's a a little bit of that quality to the phone line, but otherwise it it sounds great. You're going to understand every word he says, and it's an excellent conversation. Happy to uh, sit down and spend a minute with uh, one of the makers of Marvel, Joe Quesada, now on Word Balloon. I am catching the mogul in his office reading a script. Man, how uh, how Cecil B. DeMille. Of Joe Casada. Uh, yeah, I don't know if mobile's appropriate here, but <laughs> well, it's it's bigger than Best Boy or Grip, isn't it? At this point, uh, I guess so. Come on, Chief Creative Officer of Marvel. Uh, it's been a year, and I'm happy uh, to talk to you again and get an update on uh, goddamn another great twelve months of uh, Marvel being exploited through the comics and the movies and television and beyond. Congratulations on a, on another big year. Well, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. You know, it, it's always uh, uh, it, it, it's fun to be a part of. You know, it is a uh, it, it's just an incredible team that we have and. Uh, you know, everybody pulling together to, to, to do the stuff we do. And more importantly, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's incredibly rewarding that the fans love it, you know, because, because as I always say, it's, it's a very democratic system. Fans vote with their dollars or with their feet. Uh, and they seem to be voting with their dollars, which means they're enjoying what we're doing. And hopefully we can, uh, keep that up and, you know, uh, do the best we can. Excellent. I, I very I do want to talk about movies and television primarily, but I have to acknowledge Secret Wars because um, it's always important to, to mention that you're still very much a part of the comic book world, and you're the first exec I think I've talked to mid-story. I talked to uh, Tom Brevoort before the story and John Hickman, and, right. and then mid-story now. Uh, I got to tell you, it's a great event. And I mean, I'll be honest, I liked Original Sin a lot. Some of the uh, events before Original Sin, I think, had their little clunky moments. But Secret Wars mm-hmm. has just been thrilling. It is legitimately a giant event and it is universe yeah. changing, but it's it's living up to the hype. At least I think so. Yeah. You know, listen, I, I agree with you, but of course I would, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the truth of the matter is that you know we, we've been working on this, and, and in particular the publishing team has been working on this for many, many years. I mean, Jonathan Hickman came to us with the idea years ago, um, so it's been it's been bubbling to the surface, and he's had a very clear idea of what it should be and where it was going to go. And uh, once you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that we're we're, we're finally in the thick of it. And that uh, fans are enjoying, and they're seeing where we're going. It's uh, it's it's a wonderful and I think historic event for Marvel. And uh, you know, I think I think Axel and uh, Axel Alonso, our editor in chief, and, and Tom Brevoort and the whole crew are, are, are kicking ass. They really are. No question, man. No, it's it's really entertaining, and it and it gives us an opportunity to really where the side stories matter in their own way, in a, in a way that they haven't mm-hmm. in a lot of times in events, and are their own fun little adventures to follow as well. Planet Hulk, every one of these things. I mean, just to name one off the bat, yeah. but uh, but all of it, man. Yeah. You know, really cool. Yeah, and it's allowing us to play with some toys that you know we, we've all had some great affection for, for over the years. You know, some of us from from our childhood and and, and some later on. But just uh, sort of you know properties that have been sitting there and kind of dormant, and, and we get to rekindle them or reinvent them in, in a number of different ways. So uh, that 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 also to me is really the fun part of this. 
Excellent. Well, I want to talk about Ant-Man and give you guys your props because, um, you know, it's it's weird. The industry watchers, I, I think, are still not quite ready to say that it's an unqualified hit, even though, it you know, it's mm-hmm. won the two weekends in a row. It's it's weird to right. determine what the uh, what the level of success is for everyone to kind of, I think, go, Phew, OK, that was good. And we had another one versus ah, did right. it underperform or whatever. Honestly, uh, on its own merits as a movie, I thought it was excellent. And it seems like word of mouth is allowing it, uh, the audience to find it in a way that maybe the other movies that had that big splash at the beginning like guardians and the ones before it you know normally have this one i think hopefully will continue to grow as the summer continues yeah i do and i, and I think i think it's a really special movie it's, it's a lot it's so much fun you know and it just it just it's uh it's got everything you you, you really want in a summer movie and then it's something you walk away you walk out of the movie theater and and i think fans and and and, and non-fans walk away and they're smiling Nonsense, of course, going, wow, I didn't know there was a guy named Ant-Man, right? And that's really, really cool. Uh, and, and, you know, and again, I think that, that, that shows the power of the Marvel brand and, and, and the power of our creative teams uh, that, you know, we, we can take something like Ant-Man uh, that the world is not necessarily aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, if we do our job right, you know, he becomes a household name. Tell me about, because um, I think one of the interesting things, and it, it kind of happened by accident when Edgar Wright left the project, the different creative voices that are involved in this movie, and I think are all represented well, not knowing whose part was which, and I don't necessarily need to know that, but it just seems like right. there's you see Adam McKay's influence in the script. You see Paul Rudd's influence. You see Edgar Wright in this, and then also mm-hmm. it's all wrapped around what has been a very successful Marvel adventure movie formula yeah and and, and then I, I think you also have you know uh, characters that that, that that come to that come to the forefront like like, like michael Pena's character yes uh which you know all, all of a sudden you know like wow that's that's <laughs> he, he he's he's almost a superhero unto himself you know, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, and and he 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 really sort of ties it together for us and and, and brings a, an amazing humanity to it uh i just you know th- th- those are the, those are the things that you sort of hope happen and 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 really uh, you know, you, you, you can't expect them, but you hope them to happen. Uh, as, as you know, the chemistry between between you know actors and and and, and director and writers. Uh, so, so we're really thrilled with so much of that. Peyton Reed coming into this movie, um, and really, you know, there there've just been. Uh, things of, you know, movies starting with one director, ending with another. The only comparison I can see, because I really think a lot of what you guys are doing in movies and TV is kind of uncharted waters. The closest thing I can think of are the Bond movies back in the day mm-hmm. when, you know, you had these different directors come in, put their stamps on the movies, but also, again, had to still work within the trappings of what audiences were expecting from a from a James Bond movie experience. And, you know, like you said, Michael Pena is a great example of this great left field character that can come in, Mm -hmm. stand out and be effective and stuff. But as someone that is part of the creative process and you're on the Marvel movie panel, can you can you quantify what that's been like, you know, now in 12 movies and watching, you know, these different shifts and, you know, are you able to step back? I mean, is it, it, you know, is it hard putting all this together or is it, oh, my God, you know, we're not only getting influences from one creative mind here. Look at the, you know, half dozen people that have their fingerprints all over Ant. Man. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I think with with anything, I think with any creative process, in particular Marvel, um, it, it's all about collaboration, and, and, and it's all about 
what what each individual person brings. You know, I, I, I could point to the screen and say, oh, that little bit, that was something that I came up with in, in the creative committee, or that's something that Brian Dennis suggested, or that's something that Kevin Feige, uh, you know, took and, and sort of turned on its ear and, 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 and made it work, you know. The, the, there's all those little bits and pieces, but ultimately, when it's, you know, when we, I think when we look at it from Marvel, uh, you don't really know where it starts and it begins. It just, it just, it just sort of clicks. If it clicks, it's going to work. And at the, really, it's all about story. It's all about story and, 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 and getting, and keeping true to the character's inherent formula. Uh, and that's really what we strive for. And, and, and then looking at each one of these movies as, as different, within the same superhero genre, as a subgenre, you know, so, so Ant-Man was basically a heist movie, it's, mm-hmm. you know, so in that sense, it's different than Winter Soldier, which is sort of, you know, espionage and, 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 and action espionage and, and cloak and dagger kind of stuff, and, and Avengers, which is straight out superheroes, you know, balls to the wall kind of sure. stuff. So we, we try to look at each one of these properties as, as their own sort of subgenre within the genre, and I think that also helps, and, and that's also where it differentiates from James Bond, where James Bond is, is very much James Bond, right? And so when a director comes in, they, they have a, a reasonable template of what's to, to be expected out of a James Bond movie, and then trying to make it great within there. Uh, at Marvel, yes, there's a template and a formula to a Marvel character, but then, you know, what can you do with it and, and turn it on here and, 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 and look at the genre within the genre? Are you able to then also, when the fin- finished movie comes out, you know, and, it's, and really Guardians, I think, and Ant-Man in particular in the last year, there there just seems to be even more opportunity for comedy. And does it then influence what's coming in Phase 3 and Phase 4 and say, well, shit, look what we were able to do with these things. Let's try and, you know, as organically as possible. But, hey, you know, there, here are avenues that, again, maybe didn't occur to you guys until the creative process started. Are you able to look back and go, oh, we want more of that? That was, like you said, Michael Pena, perfect example. Not that you're, like, desperately searching for another Michael Pena, but, you know, like opportunities for a different kind of filmmaking. I, I think some of that stuff you can plan for, and some of this stuff has to happen organically. But we also, you know, we, we, we understand with our, with our movies that there are certain elements that we think are important to us. Uh, even in our most serious movies, or in our most dramatic movies, uh, I also think that, the, that, that we have to have a, a, a sense of humor as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, and, and I think we, we, those moments are important to us at Marvel and have always been important to us at Marvel. You know, and, sure. and it starts with, you know, Stanley's self-deprecating humor in his in his, in his soap, soapbox. I mean, yeah. All that stuff has been a part of our DNA. And, and, and but at the same time, we could also look at properties uh, like Daredevil uh, on Netflix, and we could say, you know what, we're, we're going to go darker with this than we ever have. So, so you know, we, we break away from the formula a little bit. But even Daredevil has its moments of levity, right? Cause Absolutely. Because comes in and, and says something that just breaks that tension. And I, I think that's important. I, I, I think you have to balance it out. I mean, we, we certainly never want to get, at least at this stage in the game, we don't want to do anything that is so dour and glum. Uh, we want people to walk out of our movies or, 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 or when they turn off their television, we want them to feel like not only did they have a, would they experience a great adventure and a great story, but they also want to live in the Marvel universe. They want, you know, they, 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 they want to be here and, and, exp- and be a part of it. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I could live in a New York where the Avengers, you know, are defending us from alien threats, even though there's alien threats, it's still a pretty cool world, you know? So, uh, we don't want to be so dark and, and, and heavy where people go, wow, that was intense. And I'm so thankful. I'm, you know, that's not my world, you know? 
uh, we we always want to keep that sense of it, it's you know this is Marvel, this this is your universe, and this is this is your world with just a slight tweak. Understood, and and it's funny. I just spoke to uh, Loeb on uh, Sunday, and you know, heavy, he- yeah, heavy television talk because, and I wanted your point of view as well as we mentioned the Daredevil series and Netflix. This is, I mean, and uh, uh, critics have said this, and all the geeks were all saying this as well, and I'm sure you guys in the, inside the House of Ideas are saying it. This was a game changer. I mean, it really, really was. It was a big gamble, and I think it was to uh, great success. Um, I love the ABC shows as well, but as you say, mm-hmm. the the darkness worked. It did have mo- its moments of levity as well, but it was, in the best uh, sense of the term, adult storytelling going on. And you did it with Daredevil and a guy running around in a superhero costume, and yet... It felt like what you guys were going for, that 70s New York crime movie vibe. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously that's a testament to the performers and the crew and the writers and the, and the directors and everyone involved. But, I mean, this, this is thrilling, and it's, uh, it's, like I said, uncharted waters, it seems, for, you know, because there have been other television and uh, superhero shows and movies about superheroes, but just not only the, the medium of streaming video, but the, the type of programming that you guys put together for Daredevil, and I'm assuming, you know, more to follow with uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and, and the like for the, for the Netflix stuff. But, yeah, tell me. Now that, you know, the, the season of Daredevil is over and as you're getting ready to premiere Jessica Jones and go into production with Luke Cage, like, is, is there a sense of, wow, we did that? Well, hell, if we could do that with Daredevil, did it open up the creative juices even more for these next Netflix projects in particular? Well, you know, the, the plan has always been the plan. And, and, and again, this is a testimonial to, to Jeff and, and, and his team and, and, and the work that they've done on, on, uh, on our television shows. Um, but, but I, I think really in, in this case, it was a matter of the character dictated what was best. You know, when, when we got Daredevil back, uh, from Fox, we could have very easily have said, you know, we'll make Daredevil into a major motion picture, but looking at it and, and looking at, uh, what might be best for the character and the storytelling of the character, we thought, you know, this, this feels more like episodic TV. It feels it feels like a superhero procedural because of the of the legal aspects of, of you know Matt Murdock, uh, and also the fact that when Daredevil is at its best, when when you look at the history of Daredevil comics, when it's truly at its best, it's when it's down and gritty and real world, uh, and and you know it, 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 it's not quite the world of the Avengers. It, it's very as I as I often tell people. The Avengers are about saving the world. Daredevil is about saving the neighborhood. Yep. Uh, the stakes can still feel the same, even though they may be smaller, uh, be, because of you know whatever is important to the people in that neighborhood and and, and what's threatening them. Uh, so, in the case of Daredevil, I think it it dictated where we needed to go if we wanted to do it right. And then uh, you know we had Drew Goddard come on, and then and then Steve Knight as well, yeah. uh, who just had this wonderful vision for the show. And again. The vision of the show was, this is, again, what happens when, we, when we're looking at making your movies, is, you know, the, the character is iconic. It's been around for long, much longer than any of us, really, most yeah. of us working on these shows. And, and it's not broken. The formula is right there. So let's take that formula and adapt it to the medium and then, and, 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 and then tweak it for the modern audience. And, and, and that, that just sort of dictated where we went. And, and then Drew's... I mean, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it to you. You know, Drew's uh, script for the pilot was so 
real world and then and you could feel New York and you understood these characters and uh and then there was a moment in the script where and you know the scene if you've seen the show, so spoiler warning if you haven't, it's in the first episode. Uh, you know, Foggy and Matter being walked through a possible office space mm-hmm. by by a realtor. And they're they're haggling about price and she said, Well, you know, prices are as low as they've been, so you should go you should buy now because, you know, ever since the incident, yes. right? Meaning when the Avengers said in the original script, if she said, you know, ever since aliens popped through a portal and, and, and everyone, once we all of us, once we read that moment, we all bumped on it because Drew's script was so grounded in the real world that this mentioning, uh, you know, just blurting out of, like, aliens popping through a, an interdimensional portal just all of a sudden shocked the system and, like, wait, wait what am I watching, right? right. So, so we, had to, we had to look at a way of wording it that it felt right within the world. And then, and then slowly but surely starting to ease in the rest of the Marvel Universe. So you'd hear people talk about, you'd hear uh, uh, Wesley talk about, you know, a guy in an armored suit, a guy with a hammer. But all those moments were very carefully selected at, to, to build one upon the other to sort of ease the audience into, oh, shit, you know, the, 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 the Avengers live here. That's right. We forgot right. about that, you know. So, uh, but, again, it, 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 we, we had a plan, uh, and we, we knew that this was something different that we haven't done. And all you can hope for is, you know what, we've got great storytellers, we've got great actors, great, great directors, a great crew. Uh, just a great production team all around. All you can hope for is that the fans enjoy it. Jeff described uh, Daredevil as kind of an homage to French Connection and, and you know, uh, yeah. Taxi Driver and things like that. And I asked him because Jessica Jones and Alias, the original comic book, kind of occupied that same world as Daredevil's Hell's Kitchen, but in a slightly different way. His movie analogy, without spoiling, he said, think Chinatown. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I don't know if a different movie without spoiling comes to mind. And I know that, again, different opportunities for different kind of humor with Jessica Jones in Brian and Mike Gatos's book that I'm sure will be exploited yeah. in the series when you've got somebody like Kristen Ritter that can do comedy as well. But again, it's mm-hmm. it is action adventure and it's probably her showing her dramatic chops and then more of the Breaking Bad stuff than than what we got in, you know, the the bitch in floor two or whatever the hell that ABC sitcom was that she was on. But, you know, can you and I'm sorry if there are kids in the room. You said your family was there. I apologize. But, you know, yeah. Can you quantify like a, a tone? For, for Jessica Jones without without revealing too much, that, this was a tough one because because you know I, I think Jeff Jeff named probably the only movie that we can compare it to right now. With I mean like we could compare it to a few other movies, but I think he would give away uh, a okay. little too much of what what makes Jessica Jones different than Daredevil. And the, the only the only thing I could say to that is in the same way that uh, you could look at Captain America: Winter Soldier as sort of a Tom Clancy-esque espionage Absolutely. at the superhero genre. And then you can take Ant-Man and look at it as a heist movie within the superhero genre. Daredevil's very much French Connection and, and Taxi Driver and all those shows and all those movies. And, and Jessica Jones is, again, taking that sort of dark, noirish Chinatown uh, concept. But there is another element to it that I, I, I just, if I say it, then it sort of tips off the okay. difference between the two shows. Right. So I just, I just want fans to, to, to watch it and go, wait a minute, oh my God, look at what's happening here. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful 
uh, it's another take on the on the genre, which I think is fun. That's great, man. You know, that was the beauty of the Max line when it came out, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day. And it leads me to another question that's coming up both in the movies and in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it started this season with the Inhumans. Your own NYX was an opportunity to take the mutants to a more grounded, real place. And um, obviously... You know, there's, there's. Thank you for remembering that book, by the way. It was an awesome book, man. Absolutely, and I know it was only about nine yeah. issues or whatever, and we were bumpy. You got busy, and Josh got busy, and everything, so it got tough to do it. We all understood that, sure. but in, in the long run, I I am interested because I everyone knows Fox has the X Men in movies, and and that obviously maybe presented an, a problem or not to you guys, but I think the Inhumans. The way that the human, the Inhumans are now being portrayed gives you an opportunity yeah. to tell a similar set of adventure stories, taking nothing away from the uniqueness of mutant versus inhuman, but also that it allows you the opportunity to tell modern stories in the same way that Brian is doing in Powers, both the comic and the TV show, and really show yeah. the difference between humans and non-humans in this world. And so that's got to be exciting and I think was an elegant solution to, well, shit, we don't have the mutants anymore. Here are the Inhumans. Well, wait, we can use the Inhumans in this same way. Was that always the plan or was it born out of the necessity of, well, the X-Men aren't coming back to our cinematic or TV worlds anytime soon? Well, you know, I, without really dealing too much, the, the one thing I can say is that, you know, we, we've had a list at Marvel. We have a list, an ongoing list at Marvel of properties that we feel are uh, are rich with story potential uh, and, and, and potential in other mediums outside of comic books. And we intend to get to each one of them in their time. The Inhumans was right on that list, very much the same way the Guardians of the Galaxy were, was on that list. You know, uh, I remember meeting, you know, we were meeting about, uh, you know, what, what do we feel are, are potential hot properties in Guardians immediately bubbled. And we said, this, this, this has got something. And I don't want to give you, you know, the other names of that list, but the Inhumans was certainly on it. Okay. As are other things that you will see as, as, as you know, again, everything in its own time. We have to, one thing has to build upon the next. Sure. Uh, but the Inhumans was definitely something that we, we felt was, uh, was ripe with potential. And look, I mean, it, it couldn't make me happier because, you know, so much of this stuff is reminiscent to me of, of, uh, of when me and Jimmy uh, launched Marvel Nights. I mean, Absolutely. Was, was, was one of those things. We looked at it and we go, we said, wow, th there is so much great stuff here. Uh, all it needs is a little love and care and, uh, and, and see where it, where it goes. Well, that's the thing, Joe, honestly, and I've said this to you before in recent uh, interviews that we've done. I just think you've got such a unique vantage point because, like you said, when you and Jimmy Palmiotti started Marvel Knights at a very low point in Marvel's history and you were able to take a group of characters and, and, and teams and say, no, there's good stuff here. We just need to get them in the right hands and the right creative hands, and this stuff can be fantastic again. And out of literally the ashes that a lot of these you know characters had kind of devolved to, you guys put new spins on them or got the right creators to put spins on them from Kevin Smith and Paul Jenkins to, to Jay Lee. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yourself, obviously, and then you're both writing in and drawing contributions to, to Daredevil and the like. I mean, you know, that's that's fantastic. And I and I really, you know, God, uh, Chris Priest's uh, Black Panther. And, I you know, I'm going to be talking to yeah. Reggie. I'm going to talk to Reggie Hudlin in a couple of days and I'm, I'm looking forward to. Oh, cool. oh yeah, man. No, I, I mean, that's the thing. I really think that all this started back then with Marvel Knights. And uh, it's great, and it must be great. Can you talk about 
playing this stuff out now on a on a bigger stage. I mean, it's one thing to put them out in monthly comic books, but you know, Christ, I mean, you know, several television shows, a couple movies a year. Yeah. I mean, good God, and you know, Phase, you know, Marvel Phase Four. Shit, we're talking about you know movies that are going to be in our you know when you and I are collecting our social security checks and stuff. I mean, this is right. this is insane <laughs> that you know this kind of momentum is being built. And and, and seriously, I, I know, and you're the first one to say that it takes a big team to make all this happen. But it's got to be great being ringside and also being one of the guys that was able to like flip the lever and go, no, we're going this way and this is going to work. So again, you know, I, I, no decisions here are are, are made. Uh, single-handedly, you know, it, it is. You know, we 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 sit and discuss. Uh, you know, this this list I talked to talked to you about. You know, about mm-hmm. characters and properties that we that we, we feel we'd like to get to. You know, it's not one man making or one woman making this decision of sure. this is the way it's going to go. Um, it, it is a group of us, and and you know, we and some and by the way, we we, we shift gears several times. You know, depending on what what the audience uh, is gravitating to. You know, that because pace change and. And the best laid plans, right? Right. Uh, so, so you know, it, 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 there's there's always a the wonderful thing about Marvel, this Marvel modern incarnation of Marvel, is that there's there's a, a real strategy in place, and people talk about it's because again, it's not just what properties are great to develop, but are they better to be developed as a major motion picture? Are they better to be developed as television? Uh, you know, where in the world of television should it live if it is television? All those discussions happen, and 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 we we. You know, at the end of the day, you still have to cross your fingers and hope that you've made the right decision. And, and we've been very lucky, but at the same time, we don't take for granted the fact that, that you know, we're always going to have this incredible amount of success. It, it would be great if we do. Uh, we're always going to be striving for it, but, but I don't think you could ever take it for granted. I know that, uh, you know, during my, my days when I, when I ran the publishing division, uh, you know, I don't know if I lived like a child of the Depression or not, but I always anticipated that, you know what, it, this, this, this may not last. Things could happen. The economy could crumble and nobody could want comics or, you know, we could fumble the ball somewhere down the road. So we just got to stay on our toes and stay vigilant. And I mean, that's all we can really do is just continue to try to put out the best stories we can and uh, with the best strategy behind it as well. So uh, we have a great library of characters. There's, you know, I always say that being a creator at Marvel, it's like being uh, it's like being a creative trust fund baby. Because you have been, you have been, uh, you're, you're, you're really, you, you, you look, you, it's like looking in the bank and all of a sudden, wow, I got all this money, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we, we look at our library, it's like, oh my God, look at all the stuff we have. And not only that, but just stuff that's been sitting around that people forgot about, uh, you know, people forget that really the, the, the very first successful Marvel movie was Blade, right? That's right. Uh, that's know, we exactly didn't, right. We didn't, we didn't produce it, but, but, but here was a character that, that you know wouldn't sell a lick as a comic book. It just it just never caught on. It didn't mean that the character that was there anything wrong with the character. It just meant that you know maybe it was a better property for 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 major motion picture. And you know it, it was it's it's still a great movie. You know it still holds up beautifully. And I think defined the whole vampire genre. <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, I agree with you. And yeah. I and to be honest, I kind of hope that, you know, the powers that be and, and Snipes can get together and we do see a Blade 4 because I, I think there's a, I think there's a story to be told. And I think he's age appropriate. It would be interesting to see old man Blade, you know, as much as yeah, old man Logan it. is out there. Well, yeah, well, well, I can't speak. Well, I can't speak about any of that stuff. You know, uh, you know what what projects we have in development and things like that. I, you know, I, what I can see is that you know it, it is one of my all time favorite characters. I love the Blade character, and I, I think it's such a wonderful premise. Uh, you know, so 
but who knows? Well, you know, and I wonder, and and uh, I'll be interested in your comment on this because I had asked Loeb and Brevoort this before because, and and everyone is talking about this already. But I, I was doing this a couple months ago. I'm not claiming any any genius here, but I connected the dots in the same way that anyone who watches franchise movies or television would, and we saw a 60 plus year old William Shatner still as Captain Kirk. We're reaching those mm-hmm. age possibilities with. Downey Jr. and, uh, you know, your first wave of Marvel heroes. And, you know, uh, and I wonder, it's interesting that at first it didn't occur to me, but with the changes in the comics and Sam Wilson as Captain America or a female Thor, if you guys are almost inventing good creative solutions to what might become a problem as you enter phase four or whenever, you know, post Avengers Infinity War happens of, you know, is the public going to still want and demand to see Tony Stark as Robert Downey Jr.? Because he really, you know, Downey has obviously, you know, put his persona onto Tony Stark and made it with an awareness that obviously was never achieved before. And it's a good problem to have. That's how Loeb said it. He goes, hey, that's a nice billion dollar problem to have. And good good on us that, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that we're going to still be around in 10 years to have that discussion. Right. But but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you are these are these female Thors and, and uh, people of color and other people assuming the mantle? These are the possibilities that are out there that you're exploring now in the comics it's interesting to wonder what you guys might be doing TV and movie wise when those kinds of decisions need to be addressed. Well, look, I mean, the only thing I could speak to with respect to that is that we're, our comic division is trying to tell the best stories possible. And that's all we've ever tried to do. So, you know, when, when we created the, the, the ultimate universe, um, it wasn't with the idea that, you know, we're, we're going to streamline stuff so that, uh, when we get around to making movies, you know, we'll, we'll have all these stories to, 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 or these new incarnations of the characters that might help with a, 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 a more streamlined version in, in, for motion pictures. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the goal and, and, and can never be the goal. Um, the, 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 the one sort of rule, uh, of operation in, in publishing is just write great stories, draw great stories. Uh, it is, it is essentially the R&D division of Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, everything starts there. Every, everything that we do outside of comics, whether it's animation, television, video games, movies, all that stuff, uh, all, those, all those different mediums uh, are there to really cherry pick what's been going on in publishing. It has to start in publishing. It's so important to us. It's our lifeblood. Uh, so, so, so publishing, and again, because, you know, publishing has, when you, when you write and draw an epic story, like, like Secret Wars, uh, you have an unlimited budget, <laughs> so to speak, special effects budget, you can sure. do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, so comics are, you know, are, are, are as much in our untapped imagination as possible. That's what we want. And then from there, uh, who knows what bubbles to the surface, right? Who knows? What becomes the next big thing, and 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 sometimes those next big things become things that you start seeing uh, in in other aspects of the Marvel universe, whether it's our our you know movie and television universe or our animation you know universe. Uh, that's the goal. That's really the goal is to is to, is to keep those ideas uh, alive and 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 vibrant. Okay. So so the fact that we that we have all these different char- incarnations of the characters. And, and we have a female Thor, and we see Sam as Cap. That stuff is fantastic because, first of all, it's a great story to follow, and it's a great story uh, 
uh, to see where it goes and see where these characters end up. A perfect example of this is Winter Soldier. When Bucky came back and, and, uh, and Ed Brubaker uh, created the Winter Soldier around Bucky's persona. The fact that Ed was able to do that obviously, you know, influenced the motion picture and, and gave us a, a, an incredible character to work with. You bet. So, so uh, you know, our hope is that publishing continues uh, to be as creative and wonderfully inventive uh, as, it, as it's ever been. Excellent. You know, you've, uh, you, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, you were reading a script. Uh, and, some t- and last year, uh, you were reminding me that you were working on, I think, maybe the Marvel experience or a live action stage show that was happening at amusement parks yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. what, if I could ask real fast, cause it, I was looking forward to the Marvel experience coming to Chicago and all of a sudden, you know, it got canceled. Is it being retooled or. Other than that, that, no, isn't that, that's a different show. I, I was, I was working on the Feld show. Okay. Oh the, yes. The, and the that, and, and that was, uh, that's the, okay. The Feld shows running, but, but also, well, are you able to comment on what happened in the Marvel experience? Uh, no, I, I actually I can't. Okay. They're, they're, they're a, uh, they, they, they have a license to do the show, so I, I really don't know the ins and outs of that. Stuff. Okay, you know, those are those are business decisions, and uh, I try to stay away from those as far as possible. You know, I, I come in when uh, when they need to talk about uh, script and, and character approvals and oh, things sure. like that. So, uh, you know, and it's the same thing with with the Felt Show. You know, I sat there and worked with their director, and uh, and then they go out and they make that show and they promote their shows, and uh, you know, and, and, and you know. Hopefully the audience has come. Okay, that's cool. Well, and I guess that's still coming to Chicago, I think, in the fall or whatever. And that's more of a that's more of a kids show, correct? It's a, it's an amazingly fun kids show. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, it, it's stunts, explosions, uh, uh, flying motorcycles. You know, stuff like that. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's all right. I just don't yeah. want to. You know, I mean, I, that's that's age appropriate for little kids. That's hard. that's good. That's fun. Listen, I I I I'm often I'm often. Uh, please, when I get emails from dads and say, you know what, I took my ten-year-old boy to this show, and you know, forget it. I liked it more than he did. <laughs> I was thrilled. I'm like, that's great. You know? That's ex- well. That reminds us, me when we were kids, and they had the water shows, the water skiing shows on the East Coast of uh, yeah. of, of the distinguished competition, of course, across the street and everything. Right. So I, I can and it, well, and Marvel had its big Broadway shows and things like that. That's cool. Well, Joe, you've been very yeah. kind with your time, and I know you got your family waiting. So I'll, I'll wrap up and say thanks. Thanks again for checking in. Way to go! And oh, and, oh. and and seriously, yeah, you you and the whole team. Uh, no, seriously, very successful year. Really excited about what's coming down the pike in the fall and in 2016, both uh, small screen, big screen, and, of course, in the comics. And uh, hopefully in a few months we can uh, check back and uh, have a new talk. Let's talk. Absolutely. Anytime, man. Word Balloon today is brought to you by Cincy Comic Con, happening on September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. It's uh, my third year going, and the reason why I keep coming back is they put on a great show. Tony and Kara Moore and company, they uh, put out uh, the word to creators and ask them if they can come. It's a busy time during the comic book season. There's a lot of competing shows, uh, not only in the town of Cincinnati, but also Baltimore and a few other uh, cities as well, uh, immediately before and immediately after Cincy Comic Con. Certainly even Fan Expo, you can say, is very close to uh, Cincy Comic Con. And yet, they still manage to deliver an all-star lineup. For instance, of course, we mentioned Tony Moore. Rick Remender and Mike Hawthorne will also be there. And uh, Rick and Tony in particular are going to be celebrating the 
the 10th anniversary of their creator-owned success, Fear Agent. One of my favorite books, really the book that uh, helped me discover Rick Remender. And uh, looking for, and Tony Moore for that matter. Actually, I think I knew Tony from Exterminators before I knew him from uh, Fear Agent. But, uh, man, it's going to be great talking to those guys about uh, the 10-year ride of Fear Agent, along with Mike Hawthorne, who uh, did yeoman work on the series as well. Really looking forward to that panel happening at Cincy Comic-Con. Canadian creators Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher are going to be there talking Batgirl and Black Canary. If you're a Fables fan, you're in luck because Bill Willingham, Matt Sturges, and Chris Robertson, all great writers of Fables, they will all be there together at Cincy Comic-Con. And, of course, Chris will likely be talking, too, about iZombie because he's the co-creator of that, and that's certainly seeing a lot of success. Rightfully so. Good TV series, great comic book series. In addition, some more people to look forward to. Ryan Brown, God Hates Astronauts. Cullen Bunn, the excellent Marvel and DC writer. Jeremy Bastian, Cursed Pirate Girl. Chris Burnham, who's been doing amazing work with Grant Morrison, both in the Batman universe and in the creator-owned realm. Sean Crystal is going to be there. Matthew Clark. Adam and uh, Comfort Love. Great creators. Tony Cypress, Evan Dorkin, Sean Dove, Ming Doyle. Can't wait to talk to her about her great Vertigo series, The Kitchen. Sarah Dyer of Action Girl. Ray Fox, Andrew Heath, Kyle Holtz, Mark Kidwell, great zombie series 68. Kevin McGuire of Justice League International fame. Jim Mafood of a lot of things fame, including Miami Vice. Uh, Mike Marisi, Mike Norton, Derek Robertson, Phil Noto, Jeff Parker, Eric Powell, just to name a few. Ben Templesmith, my guy, my Australian guy. They used to live in Chicago, and now he moved to Seattle, and I'm bummed I don't see him as much as I used to. They're all going to be at Cincy Comic Con. It's going to be a great show, wonderful panels. I get to help uh, put those panels together and moderate a few of them, and I'm happy to do it because it's uh, always very interesting conversation. It gives me the opportunity to talk to creators I sometimes may not normally have gotten the opportunity uh, to meet before. Kelly Jones last year is a great example of that. Arthur Adams the year before. Um, I've always been very lucky at uh, Cincy Comic Con, and it's provided me and uh, the Word Balloon audience with a lot of great things to listen to. If you enjoy original art, a lot of these guys uh, sell them and commission sketches right there in Artist Alley and uh, Tony being a great artist himself. It is an artist centric show but also amazing writers over the years. Uh, guys like Jason Aaron, John Hickman, Matt Fraction have come in the past, Chip Zdarsky uh, I mentioned Art Adams and uh, of course uh, Kelly Jones um, it, it's just been a great show top to bottom Mark Brooks has come in the past and uh, you really should join us September 12th and 13th for Cincy Comic Con happening at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center right across the river from Cincinnati if you're in the tri-state area and are itching for a con to wrap up the summer, this is one of the best shows you can choose. For more details, check out all the information at CincyComicCon.com. All right, let's keep things moving and talk with another former uh, guy who was at Cincy Comic Con last year. He was on the Batman panel because of his many years in the Bat DC offices, and that's our friend Jeremy Hahn. Man, Jeremy's done great things, uh, drawing for Chris Claremont on the Excalibur series to his excellent work for DC in the Batman books to uh, create her own books as well. Uh, things he's written like Narcoleptic Sunday uh, to his current work with uh, Jason Jason Hurley, and that is The Beauty. The Beauty is a very interesting police procedural that started off as uh, an entry in the pilot season for Top Cow, and uh, they uh, released, uh, uh, all right, let's, well, I'll let you, you know. We'll get the details on how uh, that went from Top Cow to, uh, to Image Central from Jeremy in this conversation, but uh, the new series on The Beauty starts 
on August 12th. So I uh, wanted to uh, get this conversation out there so you could hear it now and uh, plan on picking it up at uh, your local comic store uh, next Wednesday. Not this coming Wednesday, but the following week. So uh, let's talk to Jeremy Hahn about the beauty and more now on Word Balloon. Jeremy Hahn, welcome back to Word Balloon. I'm, I'm catching you live at uh, the drawing board as we usually do, but uh, very excited about uh, the beauty coming to Image Central. Yeah, man. It's good to be back. So this was a book that won pilot season for, for Top Cow a couple of years ago, you and you and Jason Hurley uh, co-creating this book. And then, yeah, tell us, uh, you know, uh, now it's now it's in Image Central. Yeah. Yeah, we um, – so uh, a couple of years ago uh, – a little, little longer now? Anyway, uh, we did the book The Beauty for pilot season. And basically um, I at the time was working for – for Top Cow uh, as the regular artist on The Darkness. And uh, Philip Sadlick, who was uh, running the show at the time, and Matt Hawkins said, hey, would you like to do one of these? You know, we know you write and draw. Uh, you know, you want to step out and, and do something like this. And so in my very limited spare time between uh, pages on The Darkness, uh, Hurley and I, uh, Jason Hurley, my my longtime friend and, and uh occasional writing partner, um, sat down and worked out the story of the beauty. And, uh, we, you know, we put it together and they were really excited about the pitch and, uh, asked us to do it. Did you win pilot season or even though you didn't win, they still liked the concept enough that they asked you to do it? No, we won. It was, it was crazy. Uh, there were a lot of really good concepts that year. And for those that don't know, uh, the beauty is about an STD that makes you beautiful. Police procedural where they're trying to track down the cause and, and you know, or the carriers, I guess, patient zero kind of of yeah. the beauty. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the leads, uh, Foster, Detectives Foster and Vaughn, um, they are two police and they are part of a, a beauty task force. Uh, basically what they do is any beauty related incidents, which, I mean, in some in a place time like this where, you know, you, you'd have – you have crime uh, committed against the beauty. And so this is a, a focus on, you know, there will be hate crime. There will be a lot of incidents. And so that's kind of what they, they do. Um, and then um, when, you know, it's, it's two years into the disease existing, uh, it's kind of become a normal everyday part of life. And then all of a sudden, I don't know where things go really, really wrong. Uh, well, yeah, it's an STD that as, as it's called the beauty, it, it, Makes you beautiful. It, it, it youthens you up. It firms everything if it's sagging. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and we see evidence of that, male and female, in the book. It's a it's a hard PG thirteen. Are we ever going to get any uh, hardcore nudity in the beauty? In the beauty? Um, I mean, it, I don't know. We 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 say fuck a lot in the book. I think it's, it's harder than uh, we we just kind of went in and um, and. Did it as we as we felt. I mean, I, I think that you know, um, you know, as it goes, there's there's going to be various mature themes. I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to. I don't know. I I think that um, it's a subject matter that's pretty mature anyway. So you know, if if the story warrants it, yeah, sure, we'll have whatever in there. But we didn't want to, you know, be just salacious or something. Sure, I understand, but no, I like uh, I know for pilot season you had uh, the great, you know, beautiful woman uh, covered in the uh, crime scene tape. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was that was your ad. And as we've talked, and I know you've got memes for for this run of the beauty and everything that uh, you kind of are, are playing with the ideas of uh, you know STDs in, a, in you know in a, in a proper way, but a, but in certainly a, a bit of a tongue in cheek in terms of. Uh, just the way that you know STDs are kind of handled in society right. today. What I, what I like about it is it's a police procedural, very grounded in reality, and you know the the disease itself has some horrific and, and slight science fiction kind of elements to it. But but it's kind of grounded in the way that good outer limits or twilight zones were in terms of you know it's it's a year from today or it's maybe two years from today in terms of. Where, where we are, and it gives you the opportunity, obviously, to, you know, just play with this fascination that we all have with beauty and the way that it's, you know, treated in society. And, you know, like you say in the book, this is an STD that people would want to have right. and even are willing to run the risk of it being fatal because it gives them their heart's desire and makes them the ultimate versions of themselves. Well, I mean, you know, we... Look, we're obsessed with how we look. We're, you know, we, we're obsessed with celebrity. We're obsessed with um, how we look. We spend, you know, the, um, you know, the elective surgery industry sure. is is, <laughs> is crazy. You know, you, the cosmetic industry is. is, is oh crazy. yeah, man. Uh, there are younger and younger people every single day that are are wanting to drastically change themselves. You know, and, and I mean, while I'm a pretty big advocate of do what makes you happy, I also really believe in the idea that we need to be comfortable with our, ourselves. And, and, you know, if, you know, uh, the things are changing, you know, we're really going for a body positivity uh, atmosphere now. But, you know, there's there's still the other side. Absolutely. No. And I, that's. You know, good good science fiction kind of addresses the issues of the day, and as you say, body image is very important today. So this is uh, it's a timely series that sadly continues to be. I mean, again, you know, you you came up with this a couple of years ago, and uh, it's still very much a relevant uh, subject, and uh, I like it. I like I like it a lot. I think uh, you guys have the police procedural part of it down, and you know, you've always been for the shorthand, the good girl art kind of artist when it comes to beautiful women as well. Um, but you know, this is, uh, and men <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I, you know, do you see this as a, like how long of a finite series do you see? I mean, if, you know, we got to come to a conclusion eventually, um, but ideally, what are you looking at for this? Well, one? I mean, honestly, we originally planned for a little bit more of a slow burn with the series. Um, uh, I don't know, had we not done it as pilot season, I don't know that we would have the, three big events that happen in that issue happened quite so quickly. I think that, you know, we may have spaced those out a little bit longer. Um, so it, it kind of changed the structure of what we were going to do. It really it lit the fuse way ahead of where we were planning on going. Um, we would like to, uh, you know, if, if the numbers are good, we want to do more. But I think that the way that we've structured the series um, – you know, it absolutely can end at six. Uh, you know, I don't want it to, but you know, that's that's all based on uh, reader response, I suppose. Okay, and for people who did 
see that first pilot season issue, how different is this Image Central-ish first issue? Uh, we basically just remastered it. Um, we okay, yeah, it's 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 we tweak it here and there. Uh, one of the biggest changes, and it's kind of hilarious, you know. I mean, comics are always made run and gun. No matter how much time that you feel like you have, or you know whatever's going on, there's always that last minute rush. I mean, where you, you just it's just the way things go. Um, when we initially released the Beauty of the Pilot season issue, um, we had restructured a lot of the dialogue in it, um, and the past that actually made it to press was an earlier revision. So uh, a lot of the dialogue's pretty different. You know, we, we really changed, um, especially Foster's dialogue. We kind of We'd come up with this idea that he, that, you know, uh, Foster's the man, Vaughn is the woman. Right, right. And, and Vaughn basically curses like a sailor. And we really kind of had this <laughs> thing where, uh, Foster doesn't really, you know, he, he kind of holds back a little bit. And, uh, we, w- that didn't make it into the cut that, that was the pilot season book. And so we really structured a lot of what he says for the, uh, for the new version. The clock is running on the story, as you say, in the way that you, you set up that first issue. Um, I don't want to reveal. It comes out August 12th. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I really do think that people who haven't read that pilot season issue will get this first issue and will be able to make a very uh, – I like that. And I'm glad you guys – as much as you wanted more of a slow burn, in some ways I'm kind of glad because I think it does kind of – all right, these are the odds. This is what's going on. Do you want to stay on the ride or not? And I think that's – kind of necessary for a first issue, especially in, in the competition that is out there right now for everyone's attention. Um, did you, was this part of any of the Image Expo presentations in the last two years? Uh, no, we kind of actually fell in, we fell in between of all of the, and all of those, uh, I probably need to get more savvy with, with thinking about when I'm releasing that stuff. We, uh, we line things up after the previous one and then this year it had already been announced and was in previews, you know, so they always do new stuff sure. that hasn't been announced yet. So probably, Okay. Yeah. Again, probably well, should have been a little more savvy. But you are going on uh I, I know you're uh, heading to Portland uh to uh, uh do a store signing over there in the next week or two, right? Uh well we're just gonna go and kinda of talk with with uh shops out there. Uh oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean we're 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 going on vacation basically. Uh but but thing, uh, things from another world is out there, and um, they they really supported us a lot. So I'm going to go by and basically just drop off a bunch of fun stuff for them. That's cool. And yeah, I know you've got a lot of big promotional plans uh, for this. That you know you did the same thing with uh, yours and your son's dinosaur Kickstarter book last year. Um, and I'm glad you're you're thinking along those lines. And I know you, like uh, you've got some memes. That you've created for uh, for the beauty that you're, uh, if people are following you, obviously, and, and through social media and on your blog and stuff like that, they're going to be seeing some of this stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, there there are so many books coming out right now, and there's so many fantastic books, and I, I, I feel like um, you kind of have to put yourself out there and get noticed, and you have to uh, make it kind of fun. It's uh, we live in you know in the uh, you know. 
what the, the 15 minute news cycle. I mean, it, you know, stuff, sure. stuff just, just flies by on the Twitter feed. And, um, one of the things about doing, um, one of the things about doing the, the Kickstarter projects, both doing, uh, bad karma and then dino day, um, it, it really shows you what the interaction with your fans can do. Uh, we, you know, we uh, promoted, we talked to people, we made fun little things that people would want to get involved in, and they did in big ways, you know, and, and that was reflected in in uh, the support we got for the Kickstarter project. And I kind of just wanted to carry some of that over. I mean, you know, one of the nice things about working with Image as opposed to doing something completely on your own is that you have images support. They're backing us and, you know, they're, they're pushing the book. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I think we still need to do on our own. I can appreciate that. And I, I think that, um, the subject matter makes for creative ideas and I'm looking forward to some of these, you know, things you, you created a video, uh, for the, uh, book as well. Kind of a, a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. A buddy of mine, uh, made, made that, put that together for us. And I, uh, I was just crazy happy with it whenever I saw it. I was like, yeah, I, I'm going to spread this around. I mean, uh, probably the craziest thing that we ended up doing, we did, um, early, we, we were sitting around talking about, you know, kind of little things that we could do to promote the book. And, you know, uh, for, for Dino Day, we did, we did the Dino, um, the Dino crates where basically we sent out, you know, a little promotional thing with a little dinosaur in it and some stuff. And, mm-hmm. and for this, we were like, you know, what's, what's our Dino crate for, for, uh, the beauty. And, um, we decided to do, uh, beauty condoms. And you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book about an STD that makes you beautiful. Why not? Why not do the other side and say actually be safe? Um, so we we did that, and then we came up with the idea to do um, kind of an STD pamphlet, something that that <laughs> kind of treated things like you know, like hey, you know, here, uh, don't let this happen to you. Exactly. That you know, the the world, the you know, explaining the world a little bit, and then also talking about the disease itself. And, uh, we did those things and, um, we talked to, you know, originally we were just like, you know, like, I guess we send these out. I don't know. Um, and then we talked to image about it and they were like, actually, let's make that available during, uh, uh final order cutoffs. And so, um, we talked with them and, and 300 of those, uh, are going out to, uh, shops that, that ordered them. So it's, you know, the people that want them are getting them. They're getting in the right hands. It's a lot of fun. That's cool. So how many, like, does each store get one or do they get a couple or? I think it ends up just being like one or two. It, it's, it's not a lot. I mean, I, uh, sure. you know, I, we, I, I think that, you know, when an idea works and, and I really do feel like, like, I, like I've never had something before that I've done where people, um, and they hear the concept and, and then immediately you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to check that out. Um, so we knew the concept worked and then, but you still have that part of you that's like, I don't know, you know, it's, it, hopefully maybe. Um, and today we got, you know, we were informed that the, uh, that, uh, 
they were having to allocate um, the uh, the condom itself, you know, because we only made so many. And they were like, yeah, we got a lot more than 300 orders for it. So, okay, yeah, that's kind of fun. Well, are you uh, are you going to do any variant covers for uh, the book? Yeah, yeah. We uh, what do you got lined up? We man, we 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 ended up um, doing three covers for each issue, and I I, wow. I did the main cover, and then we just you know, I mean, the nice thing about it is you know you've worked for this long in the industry, you start asking your amazing talented friends, and sure. uh, they treat you really really well. Um, on issue one. Right out the gate, we, I mean, I was crazy happy because uh, I asked Jenny Frizen to come on and do a cover. Uh, Excellent. One of my favorite people. Yeah, no, she's, I mean, she's a horrible human being, but she's talented. <laughs> I know. Uh, and that idiot Steve Seeley is a Oh, player. yeah. Why, why, why are they? Moron. Why are they? Moron. Why are they not more charming? I don't know. But um, <laughs> I know. I know, seriously, they'll be standing on their own wedding cake. They're so disgusting. I know. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, no, uh, but but I, I asked Jenny to do a piece, and she did. She she was the first variant that that we got, and it immediately set the tone for everything that that the variants could be. It's just this fantastic, haunting image. Um, and then uh, I also am a huge fan of Kevin Wada. Uh, he's been doing. Just um, the She-Hulk covers that he did were, mm, okay. yeah, they were fantastic. And and he's he's somebody that he does a lot of covers and he does a lot of um, a lot of shows. He's he's had a lot does a lot of commission pieces, and he just does these like stylish, sexy uh, takes on. There's one that I saw and I was just like, I, I want I want this, but uh, he did this take on like um, a lot of the uh, the guys from X Force. But but it looked like you know it looked like fashion ads. It was like something out of you know they were all dressed in in like Prada. It was amazing. Um, yeah, and so I asked him to come on and do one, and he did this fantastic creepy ass cover. So those are the three for the first issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, myself, uh, Jenny, and then uh, Kevin Wada, and then we actually, I mean, you know, because of the way that books are produced now, you have to, or you don't have to, but if you're smart you go ahead and get your convention exclusives and stuff printed at the same time. And so um, I haven't shown it around yet, but we managed to get uh, James Robinson, sorry, uh, James Robinson, Andrew Robinson, one of the Robinson, uh, Andrew Robinson to do the New York Comic Con variant. Oh, fantastic. And it is amazing. I mean, you know, I, I looked out on all of the covers. I, you know, I managed to get, Fantastic people, but I mean Andrew is probably hands down one of the best guys working in in comics today. Every single cover. I mean, I remember his stuff back as early as uh, you know the Dusty Star stuff that he did and the Starman covers. Uh, he went on to Hawkman, and it's just everything that he's ever done. It's just a touch of brilliance, and cool. I'm crazy honored. So we're gonna have that for New York Comic Con, and. That's going to be a very limited thing that we're doing for the show. Um, but I, 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 I the, based on his cover alone, it's going to sell like like crazy. So I'm excited about that. And then um, the last one, and I probably shouldn't even be talking about this. We are treating it kind of like Fight Club. Uh, we did a what is going to be it's the secret variant, <laughs> and 
the uh, it's it's idiotic. Curly and I were talking about stuff, and we were like, we kind of just want to do something that's dumb and for us because we're dumb. But um, we wanted to do a cover that is a secret and that we haven't really told you know that we're not. We're not going to show it beforehand, and uh, we're probably going to give it to people in like brown paper and ask them to not share it. And the only way that they can get it is if they come up to us at shows and say, "Hey, I want the secret cover." Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's a good idea, man. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's this should be an interesting experiment in terms of how you're marketing this and everything, and uh, a good way to kind of compare. What What do you think? What other lessons did you learn? from the Dino book and also, like you said, bad, the Bad Karma anthology uh, that you're bringing to uh, to work on the beauty? Um, I mean, you know, the first thing that, that I, I really learned working on those is you're only as good as your product. I mean, you know, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but, you know, make something, make something you're absolutely proud of and, and the audience will be there. Um, you know, I both on Bad Karma and on uh, Dino Day. One of the things that we did was we got um, Stephen from Photographics, uh, who designs a lot of the books for Image. He's doing um, Saga. He, he did uh, all of Eric Stevenson's books. Um, yeah, he's he's one of the best designers working in comics right now, and having him help us design the, the uh, bad karma and then design dino day. And then he's doing all the design work on the beauty. Um, it, it's just, it looks sharp. It looks perfect coming out the gate and then, you know, bringing in friends, bringing talented people to work with you. You know, I mean, we, we, John Roush is probably one of, again, one of the best colorists working in comics. You know, he's, he's kind of a guy that, that thinks outside the box and brings a lot to the table. And, um, you know, we ha- having those kind of guys working with you makes a product that looks good, looks slick, uh, and you can feel good about it. And then from there, you know, it's just, it's just understanding that your audience wants, wants these things. They, they want to be involved. They want to help. They want to promote. They love talking about things. Now, for as much as our society bitches about everything that uh, that's out there, you know, they're also really excited to talk about good stuff. Very cool, man. Well, it comes out on April, or rather, on August twelfth. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. I uh, I know you wrapped up your uh, Constantine work pre-convergence. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Constantine was one of those books that. Uh, that was, you know, Hellblazer has been like my 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 jam forever. It's been the one book that uh, that I own every single issue of and every single appearance of, of uh, John Constantine. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Did you watch the TV show, the NBC show? Uh, I watched the first two episodes. They had those for me uh, before. You know, I had to see those before uh, I did. Before. Right. Okay. Okay. So, did you did you like the series? Or I mean, what I thought thought it was fun. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I you know I, I know it got better as it went, but I mean, Matt Ryan as Constantine, that dude was perfect. I mean, like he just based on that first shot alone that we saw 
floating around the internet. I was like, how did they get, you know, a, a literal interpret physical interpretation of Constantine? I understand. I'm I'm interested to see because isn't he going to be on either Arrow or Flash? It sounds like uh, next season. Oh, cool! Very cool. And I, I know I know they're going to incorporate that. And but also uh, looking forward to Lucifer. Yeah. On uh, Fox, I, you know, and it's I, you know I uh, I'm glad that uh, you know the CW had such great success. Supergirl looks fantastic, mm-hmm. but um, it is interesting to see the non and and really you know even Supergirl being on CBS. But I have a feeling that's going to like hit the ground running and really be a runaway success, kind of the way The Flash was right away as well. Right. Um, it's just got that tone to it and seems to be perfectly cast. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see. There's already pushback, I know, on Lucifer, and, and Constantine kind of suffered a little bit of that as well from uh, the religious as- uh, aspects. Of course, the beauty even has its own little uh, problems with uh, religious uh, pushback. Yeah, yeah. As well, now that I mention that. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, it's... Uh, people got to fight about everything, don't they? They... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, no, and I, well, that makes for good drama in your uh, in your comic book, and unfortunately, I think the television people are dealing with the real life drama when they get, you know dip into uh, where they want to go. The trailer for Lucifer looks great, mm-hmm. and and I and it looks like a really intriguing show, and I hope that uh, you know Fox is able to find a good night for it. I haven't heard what night of the week it's going to be on, and a good time slot. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I you know. I wish that Constantine had had not you know suffered cancellation. I I think one of the things that's really hard right now is like uh, the the way the cycle works. It's like if something isn't a smash hit, we just throw it away. And yep. you know, like God forbid, like go watch season one of Buffy again if you want to see a show that was clunky as hell. In the Buffy, beginning. Next, uh, Star Trek Next Generation is another great example like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were, you know, like, there were shows that just did not quite work that, that went on and yeah. became stuff that that is, you know, massively beloved. And, right. and you know, and I, I think that, I think, you know, especially like with Constantine, I think Constantine suffered from having to kind of pull back a little bit. You know, I mean, Hellblazer is a rough, rough book that has a lot of amazing stuff in it. But you know, like, you how do you do that on on network, network television. television? It's hard, right? And you know, I, I think if that show would come out from Showtime or something like that, I think or, or FX or 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 Netflix, yeah, you know. yeah, I think it would have been it would have been great because they could just let go um, and maybe and maybe not have to apologize for you know having <laughs> having. Uh, you know, demons and stuff. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I Yeah, it's an, no, it's an interesting time. And I mean, I think this is the problem that as much as the big three, you know, NBC, CBS, and ABC want to get involved, this is what they have to deal with. Now, ABC having the direct Marvel pipeline makes it easier. Right. And, you know, I, I really liked Agent Carter, especially. Yeah. I thought I thought S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, was a vast improvement from the first season, right. and, and and leapt into the right direction. And there, there again, another good example, and another Joss Whedon show that maybe has kind of a clunky first season, but I think did much better in the second season. And I think they will only continue to evolve going into season three. Um, yeah, I mean uh, Berlanti and Guggenheim and uh, and company over at the CW and and Warner Brothers seem to have found a good formula, though, because. 
Uh, God, I saw the full Supergirl pilot. It blew me away. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't. It's so, it's so good. It really God, and she is she is perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's she is like feisty and pretty, and you know, like if I were an eleven year old girl, if I could put myself <laughs> into that position, I she would be my hero. And I think uh, she kicks ass in a really good way, but I think is very human. And uh, no, it's great, and it hits the bigger Superman family mythos in, in such a grand way that the six minutes really uh, that they showed in the upfronts don't justify it. And God, when you get the full story, it's uh, it's great. It's just wonderful. Well, I mean, I, it's what we need right now. You know, we need like yes. it, uh, DC, well, both Marvel and DC to be perfectly honest, both like television, the, the shows they're doing on television, whether it's Netflix or on network stuff, they're doing some really amazing stuff with TV right now, and they're they're. But I don't know. I'm excited about Supergirl in a way that that even I, I really I don't even think I was excited about the, as excited about the Flash or Arrow. Um, I I'm and I'm I'm excited about it just based on the idea of what it means. Uh, you know, our, our best friends. Uh, they have you know a 13 year old girl and. She, you know, reads comics and likes that stuff and has always been a fan. And I love the idea that there's finally a TV show for her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, you know, I, I we went to, um, it's kind of an aside, but, but Kevin Mellon, uh, Andy Parks, and, uh, and I did a, and our buddy Seth Wolfstrundle did a talk at the Joplin Public Library uh, last week. Okay. And when we were there, um, I would say that we had a 70% female audience talking about comic books, you know, and um, they were excited. They were very, very into superhero comics and, uh, you know, creator own stuff and all of it. And you realize more and more that this is our audience, man. This is the growing audience out there. Yeah. And, yeah. and we need to feed that, whether it's whether it's stuff like Supergirl or, you know, giving Wonder Woman her own damn movie or whatever it is, you know, uh, and we're just, or just, you know, focusing on on Frank, <laughs> on the most important aspect, telling good comic books for for everyone. Uh, you know, it, it's we need to be doing that. Absolutely. Well, and that's why I'm glad you've got, you know, the 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 man woman partners uh, in uh, in the beauty Woods and Vaughn kind of, you know, they're, they're your protagonists and everything. So that's, I think that's, that's a sign and a a good step in the right direction. And also, um, yeah, like we say, Supergirl and you know, it's funny because, uh, Matt Singer, my, my film critic buddy was kind of taking exception at some of what uh, is in the Ant-Man movie. I haven't seen it yet. I I Um, did. I took the boys to see it yesterday. How was it? Well, it was a lot of fun, man. You know, I mean, I'm going to sound old and grouchy here, but, what the hell's wrong with us as a society? We everybody, everybody was like, like waiting with uh, you know with rage boners, just just like like so ready for this one to be the one that fails. They were like you know just excited for uh, for Ant Man to fall in space, for it to be the one that that you know signals the doom of Marvel, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. It works so well. I mean, I, I have I have you know. Uh, Ethan and Owen, my two sons. Uh, Ethan is ten, you know. Uh, Owen is five, almost six, and they were wrapped the entire time. They, Fantastic. 
They laughed at the humor. They enjoyed all of the fun superhero stuff. They did not get bored with just like the, you know, the conversation stuff, you know, in it. Uh, sure. It worked really well. And, you know, and I, I, somebody on my, on my Facebook page was like, well, it's not my favorite Marvel thing. And I'm like, why do we quantify that now? Like, you know, Mar- Marvel is a machine and, I, and, you know, and I get it to a degree, but, but, Marvel, Marvel is an expanse. It's, it's this massive universe. It's got you know, TV. It's got movies. It's got everything. And now we now Ant Man can't even stand on its own though. It can't be like, oh, it was a fun movie. It's like, well, it's not my favorite. Um, I don't know. We need to look at things a little differently. I, no, I completely agree. And I also think there needed to be an adjusted expectation because it is a C level character. Um, and also they kind of stubbed their toe in the marketing and they didn't quite market it the right way or didn't know how to market it. And then shame on them. They had nothing but uh, an all-star cast. Paul Rudd, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that he's on the good movie streak that he is. And he's made some clunkers in his time as well. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, a very likable guy. Perfect casting as Scott Lang. Um, there's, uh, you know, great opportunities for comedy there and action. And also to justify a tiny hero and why he could be useful in action adventure. And that's great. This is a great step to then pivot and put him in. I don't know if he's in civil war. I know he is in infinity war. Um, but this, this is great. And I think it's, it had to be, it it shouldn't be judged on the same level as, you know, uh, the age of Ultron or any of the Avenger movies or the big team movies, or even, you know, once the heroes got their footing, you know, even, even the bigger names like Cap and Thor and Iron Man and stuff, he's not, Ant-Man never was that size of a hero. That said, it won its weekend up against fierce competition, minions, uh, Jurassic world still going on, you know, really like big movies that are absolutely hitting the same demographic and it's still one, and yet I don't know. I don't. I, I hope that the stockholders in the boardrooms agree with what you and I are saying in terms of yeah, it's a hit. It won its weekend. It may not have. It didn't do a hundred million dollars, but shame on you for expecting that every time. And whether it's a whether it's a fanboy with their arms crossed or a, a Hollywood executive who's like, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that I think that that if if you look at the way there's the that Feige and everybody they're setting up the Marvel Cinematic Universe though is is they made more money than anybody ever needs to on Avengers two like that was <laughs> you know that, that was insane um, and and I think that they can you know they're like hey we won we won the world with this one so now we can do this slightly smaller one I think that I th- I really feel like it's it has to be a one for us, you know, one for everybody kind of thing. Well, and they've, intru- they've introduced beyond, beyond Scott Lang, they've also introduced other characters mm-hmm. that they can exploit in these other movies as, as they roll along. Sure, sure. Well, and then you look, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that there is, is a formula for this anymore. You know, it's tell a good story, have fun, and, you know, and, and, you know, people are willing to take a take up the risk on Marvel movies now because it's a known quantity to a degree. So I think even if you're doing something like Ant Man or Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, it was a, it was a movie about some people that we don't know. There was a talking tree and a freaking talking raccoon in that. I mean, and and it 
you know, it was it's one of their best films and and, yep. and universally loved and made a gajillion dollars. So yeah, <laughs> you can't argue with with the possibility that you might as well try. No, and there are times when it does help to have no preconceived notions, and therefore, you know, you can watch a Guardians of the Galaxy and be excited by the adventure and meeting these new characters and getting excited by them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting, and and that's why it's. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Marvel people in the weeks ahead, and I'm, I'm I'll be very interested to hear what uh, Joe Casada and Jeff Loeb and and some of these others how how they regard both what they've done this year on in television and film. Mm. Um, now that, you know, Ant-Man is out, you know, that's, I think that's it for this season. And now we wait for Jessica Jones on Netflix right. and, uh, and the next seasons for agents, agents of shield and also agent Carter. Mm-hmm. And I got to say again, cause agent Carter, um, that's the thing. They're like, we, you know, we really need a woman superhero movie for Marvel now, right. now. Right. And it's like, you did get a TV series that, fe- and again, well, that doesn't count. And it's like, Bullshit. Of course that counts. I, I got it. You weren't at San Diego. There were a ton of Agent Carter cosplayers out there. That's awesome. Uh, and and it, that was fantastic. And also, frankly, I, I rewatched uh, the the series again, and it plays so well to the next chapter after the first Captain America movie. And and you know, I mean, it's it's so good. And I, and I just yeah, I, I don't like you were saying. I, I just think that there's an embarrassment of content and riches as far as. What, what fans have to choose from that, yeah, I think uh, they're a little, you know, the buffet is so overlo- overloaded that they're like, yeah, you know, this caviar, I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, fuck you, man. Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a good bounty here. And like we were saying, I mean, even shows that were good, like Constantine, may not survive. And that's my one fear about Supergirl, and I keep bringing it up, is it's going to be up against Gotham in its time slot. And I think that is such a stupid move. And I, if I were C- – that would be the one thing with CBS is like, okay, there's got to be another day of the week right. where this will work for us. And, you know, and frankly, if anything, I'd be worried if I were more at Fox and Gotham than I would at Supergirl because, you know, she hits – she literally hits the ground running. Right. Whereas we're still watching 11- or 12-year-old Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. you know, be, be an adolescent. And, yeah, we know he's going to be Batman someday. It's everything that Smallville wasn't. Right. Well, I, you know, they, they load a lot in that first episode of Supergirl, and it's like, oh, you know, with, before the before the first fifteen minutes are up, she's Supergirl. Right, that's awesome. So, so that's you know, it's like, okay, you know, here we go. Uh, I love that. I don't know. I one one of the, I don't know. Entertainment is changing so much too. It's you know, if you look at the Netflix model or the uh, the fact yep. that you know, after a show plays. You know, I can go over to iTunes and and buy it. You know, what twenty four hours later? I mean, it's right. not even. Um, I, I buy season passes to stuff on on iTunes. Uh, I buy, you know, I'll watch stuff on Hulu. I'll watch stuff on DVD, Blu-ray. You know, Netflix is there. I don't watch stuff the way you know, and, and I don't think many of us watch stuff in such a traditional fashion. So I think I think it's like. Anymore, I think the idea that, you know, you, you almost have to look at it as the long game, and I don't know that the network television's figured that out yet. Well, or built for that. Yeah. They see it. They get it as well. The problem is um, advertisers, it, it's convincing advertisers, and also, like, you know, the ones that are taking the biggest risk really are the advertisers because right. they're the ones that are buying the commercial time on the first run over-the-air channels. 
and that's where the risk is. Yeah. And and if that money dries up, then as you say, the, the smart networks need to look at the long game. But it's not an easy thing to answer. Luckily, Marvel is such a big important part of ABC and Disney that they were willing to you know walk through the growing pains of Agents of Shield right. and say no, this is still a great platform for us to promote our movies and we can still fix this TV show and still make it a good TV show and still achieve what we wanted to do in terms of promoting our brand in general. And that's why Agent Carter was such a great, you know, stroke of genius to do in the sec- during the second season of Shield and building in its own mid-season replacement. Right, right. You know, I mean that's that's really smart and also I know that's a lesson that likely Loeb learned on Heroes because that's what screwed up Heroes, the writer's strike. Right. And just that long delay of nothing, you know, to replace it with. That, you know, it's, and, and that's something that the CW and the WB constantly fought about uh, during the years of Buffy and Smallville and Angel and all those things. When you would have that six-week hiatus or, you know, co- you know, over a season of, yeah, there's no new episodes or reruns. You're, you're kind of in limbo. Right. And it's like, that, yeah, that's not cool. You know, we, we you know, we need we need something to fill the void. And also that model of it it needs to be 20 to 22 episodes a season versus the cable and Netflix models of 10 or 10 to 13 episodes. Right. Tell your story and get out. Right, right. So no, it's an interesting time, but it's it's uh it's still kind of being sorted out by the big by the big four networks. And it's uh, – I'm, I'm glad I don't make my money that way because yeah. it, it's risky. And, yeah, they, it, you know, again, sometimes financially the money is just not there to, to keep, you know, putting it in as much as it's a critical darling and the core uh, fans in the know love it and want it to continue. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, and, and I I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful, amazing, terrifying time for entertainment yeah. in general. You know, whether it's TV or film or whatever, you know, music, uh, comics, uh, you know, we, right. we got a lot to figure out, but it can work. Absolutely. Man. Well, I, you know, honestly, I think the beauty and I know you, your, your intent, your and Hurley's intent was to make a good comic you, and John Roush as well. Uh, but I want, uh, uh, you know, the good news is it is a good comic. I think it would make a hell of a, a mini series or, or, you know, television series or film. Yeah. I mean, I really think you got a great, this is a great idea in terms of uh, the hook and the meat of the story. Yeah, you know, I, I, I always think of things in terms of the comic itself, but I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know, I also find, you know, immediately was like, yeah, this really work as, as a TV show or something like that. I mean, with, with the beauty, the world is what's fascinating. I mean, I, you know, and, and I... And sure, I really, how the... How do, how the world reacts to this disease and the people that are making money off of it and the people that are desperate to get it. Oh yeah. And yeah, just the societal reaction to what should be something that we fear and don't want. And yet has all these wonderful benefits to it before the ultimate uh, kill happens. Right. Well, and you know, I mean, look, it's from, from our, you know, very early on from our, our high school, you know, health classes, you know, we learned, you know, we learned the, uh, you know, you have to be careful. You have to watch out these things right. are out there. And, you know, with, you know, in the eighties and when, you know, AIDS, yes. you know, AIDS hit and, and oh, completely yeah. changed the way things work. You know, um, we, we look at, at, uh, sexuality in a completely different way from all of that. We, we need to be safe. And, 
And I wanted it from that on the year. You know, it's a year. I wanted to look at it and say, you know, what if, yeah, but we you know what if, what if this bad, this thing that we've been taught all of our lives, you know, that we shouldn't, you know, to be careful about, you know, what if that meant that you could be beautiful, that you could be in very sideways, glancy quotation marks, you know, perfect. No, I understand, man. It's a, it's a good question, and it's a fun place to start exploring this story. So August 12th is the debut of The Beauty, coming out from Image Central. Uh, Jason Hurley, John Rausch, and our pal Jeremy Hahn. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, there's a, who's your letterer? Uh, it's uh, Stephen over at Phonographics. Excellent. Fantastic, man. No, it's great first issue, and uh, I wish you success with it, and uh, looking forward to it and uh, the entire six-issue uh, first arc. So uh, good luck with it, and uh, let us know uh, what we can do to help promote the product. Definitely. Thanks, man. That's my buddy Jeremy Hahn. Look for the beauty uh, coming out August 12th from Image Central. One more segment left here on Word Balloon. It gives me a chance to uh, thank the League of Word Balloon listeners, as always, for your support. If you enjoy the conversation here at Word Balloon and would like to uh, keep uh, the lights on and help me get to conventions uh, and would like to subscribe, just a dollar a month is all I'm asking for. Go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com, and there's a tab there that will take you to the Patreon page. Uh, like I said, uh, if, you, if you've got more money to spare, that would be great. But uh, really, if you could spare a dollar a month, that's really all I'm asking for per customer. And I uh, thank you for the support of Word Balloon uh, to those who have uh, taken uh, part in Patreon and helping uh, support the show with their dollars. But by the same token, as I always say, the best thing you can do for me is if you like Word Balloon, you can just pass it on to a friend that hasn't heard about the show and say there's a fun co- podcast that I think you'd enjoy. And it's called Word Balloon. It's at iTunes, Stitcher, all the various places you can get podcasts um but uh that's uh, how you can help contribute to the show beyond that word of mouth talk and that is uh let uh, you know if you've got a dollar that's great patreon.com slash word balloon and uh, also while i'm thinking of it if you don't mind go to itunes and write a review for word balloon positive or negative it doesn't matter but if you could write a re- review there if that's how you get word balloon and let people know that uh, what you think of the podcast again good or bad always appreciated so thank you for your continued support league of word balloon listeners with that in mind i would like to direct our attention to a great horror movie that is in production and that is cicada the movie it's a great idea it's a very funny movie the trailer that they made is on their indiegogo page and i'm really excited to be talking to the uh, filmmakers the uh, producer director and uh, and the stars of uh, cicada and uh, that's uh, Bo Crawford and David Wills and Jeff Kent. And it was really fun to talk to these guys. And I'm sorry that uh, I'm getting them in the last hours of their Indiegogo funding. But it sounds like you can still help support the film by going to their website. But let's hear about the movie, because this really does seem to be in the vein of the fun trauma films. And uh, people that I loved, of course, Roger Corman and William Castle. And uh, they clearly have an affinity for uh, especially 80s and 90s VHS uh, video store kind of horror section fun movies. And that's clearly what we're getting in Cicada. But don't take my word for it. Listen to this conversation with Bo, David, and Jeff now on Word Balloon. Happy to have on Word Balloon Jeff Kent, Bo Crawford, Dave Willis, all part of Cicada the movie. Uh, guys, very funny trailer, and it's a pleasure to welcome you to Word Balloon. Oh, thanks. thanks. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks, John. All right. So now, so now, yeah, I got I to gotta find out who's every, you know, everybody's voice. So Dave, Count. 
Yeah, I'm uh, David Willis. I'm the, the writer and director of Cicada the Movie. Uh, it's a technically titled Cicada, but we added the movie because it's a, uh, actually a surprisingly common name. I, think, like, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would think all of the bug families uh, you know, have been represented at one point. Mealworm. Right. Mealworm exactly. movie. There's a horror movie. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, uh, Jeff Kent here, uh, co-producer and actor since he came to the movie. I play the role of Johnny Bash, the great uh, major league baseball player who's got to bring the Louisville slugger out of retirement and crush the shit out of bugs. Kind of a John Rocker, but more of a hitter, obviously, than a than a pitcher. Is that a fair? So, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that. it's fair. You know, the, the the irony is, you know, that that I I'm really a crappy athlete in real life, and Dave saw fit to write me in as like some star athlete. I'm like, dude, I can't throw anything in the garbage, let alone a pitch. But you know, we'll go with it. So it's fine. that's what the green screen's for. That's all right. CGI can fix everything. We got it. Yeah, yeah, we're good to go. Oh, Ed Bo, you're 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 in you're in the film as well, and and your other contributions, if I may. Yes, uh, Bo Crawford and uh, acting in it with Jeff Kent and co-producing uh, with him, and uh, I play the part of Randy Porter, uh, Johnny Bash's childhood friend who's grown up and kind of been in the shadow of him uh, throughout his career, and uh, still trying to get him to pay his bar tab uh, at this point in time to pony up on that that he's uh, spent at the whole guys- wall bar. <laughs> oh, I, all right. And um, like, is this is this a first movie project for you guys? Have you, are you guys film school guys? What's uh, what's the background? I mean, we all went to film school. They they know each other from film school, and then uh, I connected with them a couple of years later when I came to Los Angeles. We we have a long history together of making short projects and and working on all sorts of uh, writing and and media stuff. But this is the first time we've come together on a, a feature project that we're just, it's all hands on deck trying to make this thing happen. Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say this is, this is our first feature. It's our first effort. That's cool. And, uh, you know, I, I started to say before we were recording, I'm a big fan of uh, gimmick horror. I, I'm a big William Castle fan. I appreciate trauma. But for me, it really was that kind of 50s and early 60s period of like drive-in horror that I still really love. Oh yeah, and and I think you guys have you know obviously seem to be fans of of that era as well. And I don't know, and Troma is totally cool. So you know, I'm kind of I'm like an atypical horror fan. I love like uh, Universal stuff, Hammer stuff, and like I said, and then like early '60s when it started to splatter too much, and it like was more gross than funny. Yeah. That, that's when that's when it kind of left me. Yeah. So you guys, yeah, for yeah, what are your guys' influences? No, it, it, I think a lot of the things you just named definitely influence us. And, and you know, what's interesting about the sort of late fifties, early sixties, you know, horror films, the creature features, the drive-in is, is a thing that's obviously kind of dead and gone. But that's what we want to try to bring back. You know, movies like this that have a certain level of camp to them, they have a way of bringing people together. These are the kinds of cult movies that bring together audiences for late night screenings or like, you know, pub screenings over beers, whatever it is. We wanted to make a movie that brought people together, that everyone would laugh. They would appreciate the kind of thing we're doing. It's really a grassroots effort. So I I think the the cinema, the horror cinema of the sixties really had that going for it. And we wanted to try to revive that. And and of course we're huge fans of, of the trauma movies, just anything eighties, you know, we had this saying, like, in the 80s, whether it was the cocaine, I'm not sure, but, like, everyone thought that anything was a good idea. Yeah. And just for it. We're like, I'm all for that. 
You know, you've got to remember, man, as someone that's obviously older than you guys, and I, I can put a little perspective. I mean, we're only uh, like four years away from the Muppets still being okay, and the Muppets were great. So <laughs> puppets, puppets as you know, goblin, you know, Ghostbusters, and unfortunately, I mean, that's the thing. I think it wasn't that far like of a step down to go from times like when when they did it right in, in maybe movies like Ghostbusters yeah. and stuff to. You know, the Night of the Creeps, and, uh, you know, God, uh, you guys are going to be able to rattle off I a lot mean, more better. You're bringing up a movie like that, and, and I think the root of all of this, for me at least, is as, as a kid wandering through these, you know, old mom-and-pop video stores, and that, that boom of, it's kind of like the, the boom we're experiencing now on the internet and video on demand of, like, just filling this gap of content in the, in the late 80s and, and even, like, early 90s. You had these video stores that were just, they were putting anything on the shelf just to fill the shelf yeah. with all these horror movies that like really had an influence on me, especially as a filmmaker and a writer. So, I mean, there's a lot of that in there too. So all, all of those, now they're out of print, like the stuff, I mean, return of the living dead, like stuff, stuff that you just can't, uh, you can't find anymore. I understand. No, I, you know, uh, my last episode, I had Rob Meyer Burnett on, um, who is making a Star Trek movie right now, but uh, did a lot of special feature uh, documentaries for some of those clunky movies and, and great movies as well. I mean, Aliens, but also Tron and, you know, I mean, you know, and again, Tron was a big budget effort that was clunky. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but no, you're right. And I love that period. I mean, that really was my college and early 20s. So I was part of that demographic. And uh, the, God, the Invaders of Mars remake with Karen Black. You know, <laughs> crap like that. Jesus. You know, Sigmund and the Sea Monster, a Saturday morning favorite. You know, Sid and Marty Croft. Yeah, we can do it with puppets. People will buy that. And then, it's, you know, <laughs> and then, you know that's, that's kind of what we grew up with. So it was fine. It was no big deal. There was no CGI, so there was nothing else to compare to. And it has its own inherent charm where it's like, you know, we're all in on the joke. And that's what I always loved about William Castle in particular. Was just that he had just such a great sense of humor about his movies until Bug, and of course that was his last movie, and maybe that's why Bug. This yeah. is really gross. Come see it, Bug. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's something to be said for being in on the joke, and for us, a lot of a lot of these kinds of movies, uh, and, and I mean, Trauma definitely uh, is all about this. But there's something liberating about just saying yes. You know, every other project, we all have serious, more mainstream projects that we want to do in our careers. But we just felt like, hey, you know, at this point, this is something that we can do. It's for a realistic budget. It, it's about getting together with friends and making something. And we just love hearing the word yes. It, there's, there's no reason for us not to make this. So I think a lot of those horror movies that we've been talking about, what they all have in common is someone just said, you know what? That sounds like fun. Let's do that. That's awesome. Yeah. And again, I think the t trailer is a good. Uh, you know, you tell me, like, is that a, is that where we're going to be at in terms of movie making? Again, this is a purposeful farce. There's a lot of green screen going on, mm -hmm. and you know, I mean, is it representative? Of, I mean, is it taken right from the film? Was it early stuff, and the film has evolved since that trailer? What, what's the, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. That's a uh, that's a three minute trailer that we shot for absolutely no money, just using resources that we had available. Uh, we've been working on this project for a couple of years now, and it really began with us just kicking around this script idea that I had, and then it, it slowly evolved, and I, due to our, you know, uh, not lack of resources, but just I I had to teach myself After Effects, basically, and, and have been improving steadily, but on, a, on the feature version of this, we're going to have a little bit more backup in that department. Uh, I just feel that... Uh, yeah... Uh, we, we, you know, at, at this point, we, 
we're so used to making stuff for no money and even, sure. even lining our pockets. Like, you know, we're, we, our campaign ends this, our Indiegogo campaign ends this Tuesday at about 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. I mean, literally, we're, we're getting in under the wire here. No, no, but no, no, hey, no we're problem. Getting in, but, our, but our point is we've just surpassed the 50% mark. I, I suppose we'll get pretty far. We won't hit 30, but, but my point being we're used to working on things with no money. So just even having half of that budget in place is such a huge step forward for us because we're used to working quick and dirty. We're, we're very... Very much like, hey, who knows who? How can we get this done? How can we cut that corner? Still retain a level of quality, but how do we get it done? And and I think just having a little bit of money behind us is, is really going to help us tremendously. Yeah. And we don't desire to, we want to maintain that charm that exists in the trailer, that kind of like homemade, like arts and crafty yeah. sort of effects thing that we have. Uh, so we don't want to lose touch with that. But that said, we will have some more people working on the effects. And I, I think that we're going to be able to do things like go to more practical locations, maybe a little less blue screen. So the finished product is going to be more representative of like the crazy bug movie that we've dreamed of making. Yeah. Whereas the trailer that you see on Indiegogo is a proof of concept sort of like, hey, guys, wouldn't it be crazy if we made this movie? They're only asking for $30,000. And as they say, they're about halfway uh, over the hump. And uh, it's at Indiegogo.com. Search for Cicada the Movie. And uh, now you're going to see you're going to see the trailer. I, I uh, I'm interested because, like you said, you know these movies are made for you know like pub, midnight pub viewings and stuff like that. What are the platforms like now? Because it is such an interesting time between online streaming and uh, you know uh, obviously the traditional ways that we've gotten movies for the last thirty years. But uh, what is it like specifically for the horror genre? Is there more of a uh, you know, screeners market and that, and, and how do you get, you know, once the movie is made to those kind of, uh, you know, whether it's official distribution outlets or literally you guys like know the LA bars that do the midnight madness movies and stuff. And you like are really dealing one-on-one it's, it's very much in kinship with the subjects I talk about when I talk to guys who do create their own comic books. And that's like the meat and potatoes of word balloon. So it's kind of interesting to hear how, how you guys are handling it. Yeah, it's it's we do know uh, uh, quite a few places that we we take a look at screenings at uh, here in Los Angeles, and uh, that's definitely one of the places that we'd love to to share the movie with and and have everybody you know at night on you know weeknight weekend night experience you know together uh, large group together to experience this and and just have a good time and kind of make it feel like either like a drive-in feel or like it's in your living room feel uh, essentially with that. I mean, Jeff and I and, and Bo have always had plans to four-wall this thing uh, after we, you know, sell it to whoever we can sell it to as far as video on demand goes. Uh, I mean, I think the, the eventual home of this is going to be DVD, video on demand, Netflix, uh, Amazon, that sort of thing. But the intention is always, I mean, if you think about films like Troll 2 and you think about films like films. <laughs> Do we have to think about this well, films like Troll 2? But go on. No, but, yeah, follow, follow me here. So you think about films like Troll 2, you think about films like Birdemic or Rocky Horror, like this type of movie, we want a crowd experience where you're going to go and you're just going to be part of a community that really digs this movie. And, and you're just going to go and have a great time. Yeah, even if we do that yeah. once a year, but it's about getting people together. And it's about, you know, it's, it's kind of our calling card project. If we can get this one done and, and get enough success off it to fuel our next project, then we've won. Sure, absolutely. Man. Yeah, and piggybacking on what you said about the comic book industry, I think that's a great example because there's so many people who are self-publishing now, and the means are there. 
So, exactly. you know, that kid in the middle of Missouri or wherever who thought like, well, how, how can I ever make my own comic book? It's the same thing with movies. You know, you, the, the technology is there. The access is there. The only thing that just needs to, to, to be intact is some level of craft. And I, because, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I wonder how many of the trauma people actually uphold craft. <laughs> yeah, really. I, you're right. I mean, you know how much of it is of need and pulling people off the street because you need, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hold this light versus, you know, a guy that really doesn't know what the hell he's doing or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. God bless that guy or gal who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Because again, it, it goes down to being like a, a, a yes business model and as opposed to a no business model. It's like no one told me I couldn't do this, so I'm going to do it. I might fuck it up, but I'm going to learn along the way and, and hopefully I become a better artist. Are there any conventions or anything or more like trade shows? I'm aware of because you really are talking about this like direct to video kind of market, whatever it's evolved in now that there are the streaming platforms as well. But like, are there like constantly shows like that where, uh, you know, you're able to kind of set up a booth and you're talking to people that represent uh, maybe other foreign distribution or, or other, you know, streams and everything of distribution that are whatever's left in terms of online video sales and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the closest thing would probably be you know, VidCon, which is hugely mainstream. But, you know, aside from, like, the trade show thing, there's so many festivals, and, and festivals that have really branched off into, like, real niche festivals. Like, and we're in Los Angeles, of course, so, I mean, it's plentiful here in this town. Sure. But, I mean, for instance, there, there's a there's a uh, local business we like. It. They're called El Cid. It's like a Mexican restaurant and bar, but they do a either, I think, a bi-weekly thing, whereas they yeah. do a short film night, but they also do not just short films, but short web series. So Oh, that's great. Oh, no, they're yeah. wonderful. They've been really great to us. We've had a couple of our projects in with them, and, and, and they actually get people to show up, and it's a moneymaker for them, but it's just great for for guys like us to get get out and showcase our work. So I think there's tons of outlets out there that really cater to this sort of thing. Just a matter of being um, being motivated enough to, to seek them out and seek out the ones that work for you. And then at festivals like that, are you able to set up and, you know, hey, if you like the movie, buy the DVD. We're selling it in front and stuff. I mean, are most places cool with that? If you're going to go, yeah, sure. If you're going to go with the full-on, like, four-wall model, um, you know, it, it all depends on how it's going to go. Where I think... You know, we'll probably try to market to distributors prior to uh, the four-wall process. I mean, we're obviously going to have a premiere. What's the four-wall process? How, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really am. I'm a dummy when it, when it comes to this. So, yeah, educate me. Oh, it's, 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 simply, um, it's simply booking a theater ahead of time. Okay. Kind of like these okay. smaller movies, what they'll do is they'll do like a college tour. Like uh, actually Super Troopers, when it, when it came out before it became uh, – sure. Uh, um, a festival sensation, they did a college tour and they would pre-book ahead of time. They'd promote it, fill the theater, make their profit, and then go to the next town. It's kind of like the old model of putting the film can under your arm and going from city to city. I mean, George Romero did this with Night of the Living Dead. Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So yeah. that's, that's what four-walling is. You pre-book a theater and you, you move, move accordingly. Yeah. Very cool. And then, uh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, and in the process, you're creating a fan base that's going to be there to support you when you finally get the full uh, release. Absolutely. No, that's great. And, I mean, that's the thing. You know, this is how the, you know, creator-owned comic books get happen, too. You know, they, they go through conventions, and they've literally got a table, and they build their following. And then, of course, online as well. Um, cicadas, like, what's the next year? that the cicadas hit? Is it like in a well, here's, time, here's, good timing with the movies or what? Uh, well, it's a, it's 
funny that you mentioned that because I started writing this thing about three years ago and we've been chipping away at it. And then we, as we're doing the Indiegogo campaign, it actually fell during a 17 year cicada uh, <laughs> broods immersion, if you will. Or, uh, but there are several different broods of cicadas and they're, they're one of the most popular insects in the world or most uh, populous, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say, what we yeah, no, they, they, <laughs> they beat roaches and ants three to one. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, they range all the way from annual cicadas that come out every year to, you know, five, seven, ten, and then that 17 being the most extreme. So, I mean, I, we based our, uh, in our creature on a 17 year model. Sure. And, and of course, when, when, when you have tainted lawn fertilizer in the mix, you never know when they're going to emerge. Right. You never know what's going to happen. Sure. That perversions of science, right. and that's my uh, that's my obsession and and the influence that comes from the 1980s, like toxic waste sort of you know mutated strain type horror film. <laughs> that's excellent, man. No, and I I love cicadas. I truly do. They are disgustingly ugly bugs. Yeah. But that sound they make is so cool. It totally sounds like we're being invaded. Yeah. And they, you know, and they're just bigger than your average insect, and they're just terrible. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, they are. And, that's, and they are harmless, at least not in your horror movie right. sense. <laughs> that's the thing; they're just ugly. Yeah, they really are. Just like we're here, and it's like, oh man, oh, yep. and you're freaked out. You can't help but be. But no, the sound. I mean, that's like the best in uh, August and September nights. Is that ridiculous? Like I said, if. I mean, if uh, Ed Wood or those guys didn't use cicada sound effects for spaceships, they certainly should have. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool, man. Oh, I like it. I think that's awesome. Um, you got fun perks. Uh, there's a Johnny Bash autograph card for ten bucks. Oh, sure, yeah. And from the Los Angeles Bombers baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> and cicada the T-shirt, of course. Yeah. Twenty-five dollars, so that's cool. Yeah. One of the, one of the ones that's become very popular in the past couple of weeks is the on-screen death, which uh, which is our personal favorite, and then also the on-screen death with lines. So for two fifty, you can be in the movie and get killed by a cicada. For five hundred, you can be in the movie and actually have like a close-up in lines and and. Uh, a significant part. So we've had a lot of people uh, getting so excited about it. Like, you know, it, the boyfriend will sign on and then all of a sudden the girlfriend's like, I want to die in the movie also. And then so, so we're going to get to kill a couple of couples together. Uh, you know, somebody didn't want to get killed in the film, but they said, Hey, can you kill my kid? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, they're easier, they're, yeah, they're easier to lift in the harness. So it makes it easy on me. Yeah, it's true. We yeah. can get through more of them. I suppose. <laughs> With Indiegogo, I know, you know, the good news is if you guys don't reach your goal, you can obviously still use the money that you've raised, correct? Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the main reason I went with that platform. Smart. Yeah. No, honestly, man, crowdfunding is a big, again, another big uh, part of the conversation here with the various uh, projects that people are doing. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, you know, it's funny because uh, Kickstarter has the name. But then again, you know, it seems like a lot of there are great success stories with Indiegogo and GoFundMe and things like that. So it's uh, it's nice to hear. You can't extend the uh, the window any further, or like how does no, how does I mean, it work? They no, we can't in the uh, in the setup that we have. But I, I feel like we chose uh, the platform correctly because it's just you know it just seems like a good fit, and the uh, the fees aren't that bad. And it, it's just uh, it's it really allowed us to get the project out there in a way that's been pretty successful as far as we're concerned. Well, and I think we're going to have after the official fundraiser closes, I think we're still going to have a life after that because we've been we've been uh, planting the seeds for a couple of different fundraising opportunities in terms of uh, 
product placement and endorsements and things like that. So I think a few of those will come to fruition after the campaign closes. So we're still going to be actively raising money until we put this thing into principal photography. Well, and I'm also looking at a good uh, perk that um, if you're an aspiring filmmaker and uh, you're in the area, apparently uh, you, uh, you can get $500 worth of camera rental credit for only 350 That's right, yeah. I, uh, I had worked in a rental house in Hollywood, Division Camera, for the past five years, and uh, I still my wife still works there. I have a, a very healthy relationship with them, and they've been always been really good to me. And uh, they're allowing us to post... Uh, the transferable credit that you get as employees as a perk so that uh, we can offer it at 350 They get $500 worth of credit. They have all the latest gear, uh, you know, and all they have to do is provide rental insurance. So it's, it's really a great deal for anybody who's trying to make a film. Absolutely. No, that's terrific, man. That's a, I think that's really smart. And, I mean, that's the thing. I think also a lot of this stuff is like we're all in it together, and if you can provide that kind of perk that would benefit someone else – Definitely something to look for. And I also love that uh, you're not only uh, offering the movie uh, as a digital download and as a, a DVD, but, of course, a VHS as well. But, yeah, I mean, that oh, yeah. goes back to what I was saying. Was, you know, wandering through those VHS stores as a kid, I, I always said, I was like, I cannot make a movie like this and not have it be on a VHS tape on my shelf. Because <laughs> yeah. I just want to pick up the box and look at it and just, you know, because that, I mean, when, when I think when the spark was, was lit for me to want to become a filmmaker... I was probably holding a VHS box in my hand, you know? So, I mean, it was, yes, going to the theater was a big part of it, but like so much of it was like, I mean, we didn't have the internet. I mean, you, there was so much more discovery back then. You go into a VHS store and you pick it up and you're like, what is this? And you just had to like, you had to rent it because you had to know. Right. You know well, what I mean? And, so. and, the, and the box really drove that. I remember being about, you know, 14 or 15 and this isn't a horror film. Um, there's that, that Wayans brothers movie. I'm going to get you sucker. <laughs> I think it was their first or second movie. Yes. But I remember, going, yes. yeah, I, was going, I went to the, the video store with my friends. We we're looking for something to watch on a Friday night. And just that cover, that fucking cover, we looked at it. I'm like, I don't know what this movie is or what it's about. I have to watch that right now. Yeah. So, like, we just, we just yanked it off the shelf. And, of course, like, it's an awesomely hilarious movie. And, and, you know, it's just a prime example of how the box really drove your, your interest. Well, it's like, it's like kind of like when I was a kid, too. It was kind of almost like kind of going into a toy store for me. It was like checking out all the movies and going in there. And it was like an amazing experience to, like, look at all of this stuff here. It's like I want to have yeah. all of this and everything. Well, let me, let me add that Bo Crawford, co-producer and actor, uh, worked at Blockbuster Video for many years. I did. Right. Boy. I did for a long time. So I know, I know all about VHS rewinding and rewind. Oh, yeah. Be kind and rewind. I know all about that stuff. Yeah. And that was <laughs> dusting, dusting shelves of boxes. I, I went through that as well. Oh, you dream about that at some point. It's like <laughs> movies and you go to video stores like, man, wouldn't it be great if I could work in a video store and have this whole experience and do this? And I got <laughs> and to do dust that. Boxes for yeah, and dust boxes and uh, get yelled at a little bit for late fees. But that, that wasn't part of the dream right. ever. But yeah, that's true. That's what ends up happening. <laughs> but but also there's still a very lively community of people who collect VHS, especially rare VHS, and they also collect uh, uh, movie poster art and things like that. And we want to be a part of that community as well because we have a, a great respect for the poster art and the VHS. So That's excellent. I'm looking for poster uh, stuff as a, as a possible premium. So I guess instead it's it's you know obviously something you're saving just for the full production and everything. Yeah, that's cool. That's excellent. Would you do um, an illustrative uh, movie poster? You think, or would you stick? I mean, again, I understand. I mean, with, if we uh, had 
cost and everything. Yeah, if we had access to an artist that could knock one out of the park, obviously, I would. I mean, that's I would love that because so many of the the movie posters, like growing up, it's like when you get that sort of photorealistic, like perfect reproduction of like a hand drawn uh, movie poster, it, it makes it larger than life and makes it like this experience just to look at, you know? Well, I think between all of our connections, we yeah. can probably figure out how to make For that sure. work. I, so, yeah. I, I might know a couple of comic book artists or, or two. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, That's you real. know, <laughs> it's, been, it's been great. Like, you know, like uh, a guy like Tom Fowler, great Canadian uh, illustrator, uh, loved uh, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker's uh, stuff. And, you know, did did things for uh, for there. And now I'm blanking on what their live Lago show is. Uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, cool. Cool. You know, and, and yeah, you know, that, I mean, that's the great thing. And, and and honestly, that is one of the things I love about this uh, era of uh, content creation and everybody doing their thing online. You're, you're just meeting these people that just, hey, man, you know, hey, yeah, that's how I got my Word Balloon logo. Yeah. Was uh, guy, yeah. An, early, an early listener, really, you know, within my first six months. Like, hey, man, I like your show here. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. It's a nice, it's a nice yeah. logo, too, man. I'm looking at oh, thanks, right man. in front of us right so now. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. No, but you made the point, like, you know, I think the cool thing about a project like this, I think it taps into something that, that people certainly care about. And if we were to go after certain comic book artists or any kind of uh, uh, illustrator who um, is getting their start, or maybe there's somebody who's been in the industry for a while, you know, we're asking them to draw, like, a poster. It, it's not like we're saying, "Hey, draw our comic book, all thirty some odd pages of it." Like, what's your what's your rendering of this concept we have? And, and just go nuts. And and I, I, it's amazing how many people from different creative aspects in this industry have kind of stepped up to go, "Hey, I'll help you guys out with that end of it. I'll, I'll do this. I'll be a part of that." It, it's it's been really inspiring to get people to kind of throw in their talents. It's been nice. You got a musician that can help you with the score and everything. Oh yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we're we're pretty happy with the uh, the score that was delivered by Paul Gillis, the the guy who did the one for the trailer. I mean, it, we're oh, cool. we're aiming we're aiming specifically at that sort of synth '80s, like sure. cheesy, simple, but it's an earworm. It gets stuck in your head, and it, you can't get it out. And we, just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a it was the inspiration was the trauma movie um, uh, Class of Newcomb High, which is. Another one of those sure. earworms, that song that gets in your head. So we had that song in mind. And, and Dave and I, when we were kind of prepping the idea and thinking about it, we went for a hike and we're like, well, we got to think of the song for Cicada. And, and no pun intended. <laughs> and, and, and Dave started singing something. And he's like, well, it would go Cicada. And I'm like, yeah, don't be afraid of. <laughs> and they're like, well, that's it. So he communicated that to Paul. The, the, he goes, and use use that one as a placeholder and do whatever you want to do. Yeah. So he recorded the song, did the loop, and and all is all that's in the song is cicada. Yeah. Don't be afraid of. That's all that's there. We're like, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah we I had originally told him that I would deliver lyrics later, and I sat to write them, and I was like, nothing was happening. And then he delivered the the rough, and I was like, nope, no lyrics is perfect. Nothing. <laughs> nothing hilarious. You know. That's beautiful, man. Very, very cool. Well, I I wish you guys luck. I I think it's uh, it, the trailer is great. It speaks for itself, and people can go to Indiegogo uh, dot com and see the uh, Cicada the movie uh, trailer. Yeah, I'm, I imagine there's obviously a website too. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. If you want to see what the B movie version of a website looks like, go on over to uh, <laughs> go on over to CicadaTheMovie dot net. But you can also follow us uh, at Cicada the movie on Twitter and Instagram, and then. The Facebook group is just Cicada the Movie. We're easy to find, and there's a lot of content. We've been working really hard this whole campaign 
to try to be active and put up original funny content for everybody to experience as we go. So uh, you'll be able to check all that out on any of those platforms. That's awesome, man. No, I wish you luck, and I hope. Are, are there any conventions coming up that you guys are going to be at uh, promoting this? I mean, right now we're going to be focusing on heading into pre-production and, and getting the movie going, but Jeff did sure. just go to Comic-Con and met with Lloyd Kaufman and talked and, to him. And about, met with Jeff. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. We, so, we had a brief uh, uh, interaction with, 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 uh, with John, and thank you once again for having us, man. Oh, no, yeah. hey, it's my – honestly, yeah, I did see Jeff there. I met Jeff there, and it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, that's great that you're talking to Lloyd Kaufman. Wonderful, man. Yeah. Well, I hope, that, I hope that pans out. That's great. Yeah. Huge, man. No, seriously, good luck with this. Uh, people should check it out. Uh, try and get in uh, while the window is still open. Like I said, we got you know if you if you squeeze hard, you can make it through. It's like crawling through a transom. But uh, <laughs> Indiegogo.com, Cicada the movie, and uh, Bo, Jeff, and David, I appreciate it, and, I, and thank you very much for uh, in, uh, talking to me today. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, John. Well, really thank appreciate you so much. It, this is great. There you go. Help these guys out. Cicada, the movie. Check out their Indiegogo page and their website and uh, help them if you can. That'll do it for this edition of Word Balloon. John Suntra saying thanks again for listening. I really appreciate the support. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, the added amount of episodes I've been doing lately. Uh, like I said, I've just had an avalanche of yeses, and that's great. But everybody has uh, time-sensitive projects that they want you to know about. So I'm doing what I can to release uh, more than my usual four episodes a month. And I have a feeling that uh, August is going to have a lot more than even July had. So uh, stick around for more great content coming up in the days ahead. Not only weeks, but days ahead right here on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by Instagram. Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, amazing deals at great discounts. Your favorite hardcovers, trade paperbacks, omnibus editions, essentials, uh, you name it. It is waiting for you at InStockTrades at great prices. Check out all the values yourself, InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Cincy Comic Con. If you're looking for a great late summer show, September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center, it's Tony and Kara Moore's show. And uh, like I said before, Rick Remender, Chris Sprouse, Mark Schultz, Jeff Parker, Eric Powell, Derek Robertson, Phil Noto, Mike Norton, Kevin McGuire, Ray Fox, Mark Kidwell, Ming Doyle, uh, Sean Dove, Comfort and Adam, uh, Matthew Clark, Sean and Crystal, Chris Burnham, Ryan Brown, Chris Robertson, Matthew Sturgis, Bill Willingham, Cameron Stewart, and Brendan Fletcher. Just some of the great names you're going to see at Cincy Comic Con. Make sure you check it out. It's a great show. I will be there doing podcast panels. You'll want to, uh, you know, panels that will become podcasts, I should say, not just panels about podcasting. No, no, talking to the creators, the kind of conversation you hear on Word Balloon, but we have one-of-a-kind kind of conversations at Cincy Comic-Con. Last year, we had Sex Criminals with Tony Mill uh, with... Um, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Tony Millionaire did a great one-on-one uh, -on -one panel with me. Kelly Jones did an amazing panel with me. We did a great all-Southern Creators panel with Jason Aaron and Jason Latour and Tony Moore and Mark Kidwell talking about how, you know, what it's like to be, uh, you know, the Southern influence that comes into their comic book writing for their creations. It's going to be the same with uh, Rick Remender and Tony celebrating the 10th anniversary of Fear Agent. All the Fables writers coming together as Fables winds up, uh, a great Batman panel, just a few of the things that you can look forward to at Cincy Comic-Con, September 12th and 13th in Northern Kentucky Convention Center. For more details, go to CincyComicCon.com. 
John Suntra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support. Questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter under at John Word Balloon or under my name at Facebook and the Word Balloon Network at Facebook. Like those things or dislike them if you can, if you want uh, at the various social media sites. Uh, give uh, Word Balloon a review at iTunes, whether it's good or bad. A review is very much welcome. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for listening once again. Great stuff coming up. Man, I've already got the next show all lined up, and you're not going to believe it. Wonderful conversation coming to you right here on Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.